Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Standing on My Soapbox. It is Monday, July 29th, 2019. I'm Scott Fullerton, your host, and over there is Craig Hurley, my co-host, actor and writer over there. Uh, He'll be on just a couple seconds. We welcome you to the show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. We are looking forward to being back at it again. We're here every Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock Pacific and 6 o'clock Eastern for an hour of Great Talk Radio. We talk about what's going on in the news, politics, and pop culture, some of the top stories of the day. And you're invited to call in and give us your opinion or talk whatever's on your mind, 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. Let's go ahead and stand up on my soapbox and start talking. Craig, how are we doing today, buddy? Good. How are you, sir? I am good. I'm back from a busy weekend, but uh, looking forward to a great new week here. How about yourself? Hey, I wanted to ask you, are you still wearing blankets in your basement since you closed your vents? I still am, but they're not as necessary. I don't do it every time. But it's still cool on the other side. The other side, I can't close the vents on. They're like actual. They're they're not vents. They're more of like metal metal grates that have just like holy grates on the end. Yeah. Right. I can't. They don't close off. So and it's wide open. I don't have a door that goes between both sides of the basement. So it still gets a little chilly down here. I don't need it as often, but I still do. Uh, I, I have to be under it today. Because it, it's warm enough outside that the air conditioning is really pumping out. Right now, we have about 88 degrees in humidity going on. Yeah, you're about so to I'm get hit by my, some rain and some thunderstorms from a low-pressure system that formed up over over Lake Michigan. Not sure how that actually happened. Uh, like I said in the past, that you know uh, these low-pressure systems are literally forming out of nothing and uh, and out of nowhere. And then it's it's got rain. We've got rain up and down the Mississippi Valley right now, and it'll cross over to the Ohio Valley in about a second. Later on tonight. There you go. They said we might have a little rain and thunderstorms. We've had a little off and on here yep. the last few days. But, you know. Yep. And have the rain subsided back? And are you in Vegas still, or where are you at? Yeah, I'm still in Vegas. Um, and no, we yeah, it's it's subsided. All right. We now have a, a high pressure system that's over us that is, dude, we have 112 today with 118 yeah. heat index. So uh, I, I don't even know. I mean, it's, it's beyond thought. And by the way, I think I'm going to start swearing on this show. I think I'm just going to start swearing like every other word is going to be an F-bomb. I'm just kind of tired of not being able to actually express my fucking self. So <laughs> sorry about that. Um, 
just, uh, you know, I know we're trying to keep it clean and all, but there's so much douchebaggery happening, especially over the weekend. Uh, I, there were multiple mass shootings. We had one in Brooklyn and we had one in, in frickin' and I, I, I want to get off the weather, dude, because the weather to me is, you know, if we're not aware that all this shit is, is happening, uh, I, I don't know where you've been. I, I, I seriously, all you got to do is go outside and to pay attention to the fact that there is climate change and that we're in trouble. So, but, but beyond that, I, I, there's been multiple shootings and, and multiple mass shootings uh, one in Brooklyn and the other one in Gilroy yesterday. And I almost purchased a, a, a winery in Gilroy. I love that area. That that area is uh, central or, or mm, eh, it's closer to San Francisco. So maybe, yeah, it's central. Uh, it's between it's San central. Francisco and, 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 Sac- and Sacramento. And, uh, <clears throat> and I, I've actually been to the Gilroy Garlic Festival. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, we're, we're seriously lighting people up at a fucking festival. What the fuck? I'm I'm just really tired of all of this. So I'm I'm like eh, I'm I'm really wanting to like you know just put people in their place. I don't I don't get it. I don't get what any of that's about. If if you're gonna you know I, I understand actually that people piss people off and that some people you know uh, uh, may need killing in somebody else's eyes. But you're going to walk into an area where there's unarmed, just thousands of unarmed people, and the same thing happened in Brooklyn. There are there are like 10,000 people there, dude, or, or near 10,000 people had shown up to that festival in Brooklyn, and it was late at night. And the you know majority of the people, it's called the Old Timers Festival. Um, uh, the majority of the people there, it's an annual festival in Brooklyn. Uh, uh, the majority of the people had left, and they were singing Family Reunion when somebody lit them up. And it's just, uh, you know, there's one person dead there and 11 injured. And then in Gilroy, it's the same shit. We got, you know, three people, three people uh, dead and, uh, and uh, um, frickin' uh, 11 injured or 12 injured. And some are still in critical condition, so we don't know what's going to happen to them. And I'm just, I'm just baffled at human behavior. I'm baffled at it. So, you know, it's, it's why it's frustrating. And, and, you know, once again, I try to curb my language, especially for this show, because I know there's probably children listening, but people need to be told, dude. So, and we need to stop this shit. I, I'm, I'm really freaking frustrated with the human race. How you doing? Yeah, man? it's a very frustrating. The sad thing, I mean, especially about Gilroy, um, it was a 19 year old kid that did this. Um, right. He shot and killed a six-year-old boy, a 13-year-old girl, and a 20-year-old yep. boy. Um, yep. Very sad. Man. The Gilroy Garlic Festival is huge. Um, yep. It's It's been going on every year forever. That For area, a long time, um, dude. Long time. Yeah. Well, that area. Like, uh, I, like I said, I went to that festival a good 20 years ago. So. Yeah, I was there been I think, for a probably long time, before dude. that. Yeah. Well, I, I used to live about an hour away. Um, it's in the Monterey Valley. I was in Monterey for two years. And yeah. the Gilroy Garlic Festival is called the Monterey Valley, which is a huge agricultural hub of Central yeah. California. There's broccoli love festivals, area, and there's artichoke festivals, and there's all sorts uh, of stuff there. And the garlic festival has been there. For, they have garlic ice cream. They have garlic, everything you can think of garlic. Well, they have garlic. They have everything. <laughs> and, uh, garlic everything. It's, it's a big food festival, and it's 
a lot of the people there are migrant workers or a lot of people yep. that work farms there. Um, yep. And there's and there's a lot of just regular tourists that go there from the surrounding areas. Um, it's like an hour inland from the beach on the California coast there. It's not that far from the beach. And it's just a great place to go on a summer festival time. Like I said, there's zillions of festivals there. Um, I yep. used to go to the Artichoke Festival, of all things, where they do all things artichoke. But um, I actually yeah, have never been good. to that. Uh, that sounds like it would be a good time, actually. I, you know, I love artichokes. So uh, that, it, and they're hard to grow. It's actually very good. They're not yeah. easy to grow. No, it's, uh, but this is a big, a big place right there. Like I said, the Monterey Valley, they do, they do lettuce, they do celery, they do artichokes, they do, uh, like you said, they do some wineries not too far from there. Uh, the garlic, yep. um, a lot of farming there, big time. And uh, very, very lazy, easygoing kind of people. And, and hardworking. And, and that's another thing, I, I, you know, it's like, I, there's not a lot of white people up there. There, there are white owners of the of the different uh, farms and stuff like that. But there's not a lot of white people up there working those farms. And I'd love for them to call me three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six. The majority of them are immigrant farm workers. That we that we we white people aren't going to do that job, dude. So what jobs are they taking away? They're they're actually right. fulfilling and making sure that we have food on our tables, so in the United States at least. So you know, I'm uh, that's and a lot of storied history right? in that place. I mean, literally, they yeah. have John John Steinbeck was from Salinas and wrote lots of his books from yep. Salinas, California, there, which is yep. just below Gilroy, about 20 miles south, 30 miles uh, south. So that's uh, grapes of wrath, right? Area. John Steinbeck, grapes, grapes of wrath. Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. Of other grapes of wrath yeah. is is written about the the Great Depression, so and and the effects that it had on everyone, and also the drought that they had at that time that affected the farmers. They had just a huge dust bowl at that time. It's like 1936, right. 1937, somewhere in there. So I I may not have my dates exactly right. Uh, hey, he wrote Mice and during, Men and all sorts of great stories. Yep. I mean, he wrote some great yeah. great stuff. Lots I actually. Of my stayed in uh, stayed in the John Stom- the John Steinbeck Apartments, which was directly behind nice. his house where he grew up, and they have it. It's a small little um, eating establishment there in Salinas, and I lived in the apartments right behind it for a while. But yeah, it's a it's a great area though. So and lots of sweet lots of story. Monterey is a beautiful area, of course. Pebble. There's a lot of rich white people there. I mean, Pebble Beach is right there. Not yeah, too far there's, away. A um, there's a lot of owners. There's a lot of owners of company, but not not very many yeah. people that are going to actually work the farms. So, and, and you know, the owners absolutely. If I were owning a, a, a right. uh, if I'm a vinter or if I'm a, you know own a winery or if I own a farm, yeah, I'm going to be out there working my shit. But you know, I'm also going to have like uh, thirty or forty uh, immigrants that are working for me. So because right. no other white people want to take those jobs. We just don't. We just don't do it. And For you need a lot of reason. There's a lot of innovation now. There's a lot of farming innovation, a lot of machines, but there's still there's miles upon miles upon acres upon acres of land there that's used for farming. That's yep. a huge farming community for like yep. the entire valley. Like I said, it's it's I don't even want to guess how many for the United square States. miles. Right. No, it's huge. Huge, huge, huge. So yeah, and I didn't even um 
I mean, and it blew the Brooklyn one off the map. I honestly didn't even hear about the Brooklyn one until you said something yeah, about it. They didn't even, yeah, it but went away uh, quick. Yeah, yeah. The, the Brooklyn one went away quick. But they now, had one the old-timers festival in, there, like you said, in so, Brownville, yeah. Yep. yeah, which is just outside of Brooklyn. Uh, dude, and I know I've got a bunch of friends that live in Brooklyn, and I'm and I'm just oh, dude, <sighs> so frustrated. Yeah, it's uh, just so frustrating. And we're not going to do anything about it. It's it's, it's it was we a legally purchased you know, like AK forty seven for the yep. for the Gilroy he purchased one it legally. The guy in Gilroy forty seven in Nevada, yep. uh, in Nevada, Nevada. and uh, yep. he was nineteen years old and bought it. Nineteen years old, yep. he was able to legally buy. An AK-47. And, yep. uh, well, it's just... an AK-47 type rifle is what they're saying, type uh, assault rifle. It ain't, okay. They haven't straight okay. out said if it was an AK-47 or not. But whatever. Gotcha. It's all the same shit. You know, it's like these are all right. assault weapons that, that are military grade that, you know, what the hell are we doing with them? I mean, I understand if you're, if you're you know, being a, a, a prepper and against an oppressive government – and you want to have the same military-style weapons that they have just in case. But I, seriously, you know, what, right. what do we actually need them for? You know, we need them to walk in and blow off four rounds per second on, on children? Is that what we need them for? Dude's freaking nuts, man. Yeah, they should I'm be military-only really as far shit. as I'm concerned. If you need to yeah. hunt with an assault rifle, you're doing something wrong. What? You haven't been out there. Um, You're not a very good like, hunter. <laughs> if no. You, if you have to hunt with an assault rifle, you are not a very good hunter. You know, it should take, yeah. like, oh, try a bow and arrow. What about a crossbow? Exactly. Yeah. Be a man's man. <laughs> Do a bow and arrow. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think all assault, assault weapons should be banned. I always have been part of the assault weapon ban. It's just, there's just no reason for them. I, don't, I want you to no. own all the guns you want. Assault weapons isn't one of them. Um, you yeah, don't I need to have anything way. that's automatic and it's like uh, whatever. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, I feel the um, same way. I'm that, like, I'm like, yeah, we need to, you know, absolutely. You can own as many guns as you friggin' want, but you know, right. let's let's curb it. Let's <laughs> let's actually regulate. What the fuck? Exactly. You know, I mean, regulate it so that it's so that it's so we can't get a hold of stuff that's going to wipe out, you know, eleven people all at once. Or a hundred people right. all at once, you know. It's I, it, and the cops that sh- that were in the Gilroy Festival, they took him out immediately. Man, those guys are good, and they um they because uh, they said they were searching for uh, a gunman because they thought there was a second suspect. So right. um, that's what all that was in the aftermath of the shooting. But they took him out fast. And they all they no, have they, they ain't no country bumpkins out there. Believe me, no. I, I, what I did <laughs> my two years that I was in Monterey, I actually my um my best friend and his and his dad his dad got us up there, and his dad was a purchasing manager for a company called Dick Bruns up there B R U H N S, and they sold um they sold menswear and ladieswear, but they also had a uniform division. So we sold to all of the police and fire. The sheriff's. And and, yeah. Soledad Prison was right down the street. Soledad's not too far right. from that area. Um, so I met all of these police, fire, prison guards, everything. I, I sold them every day. I was, I, so I did. I sold uniforms all day long. 
Right. And um, these guys are not country bumpkins, man. These please people don't play. I mean, there was no, a motorcycle highly trained. They're the hell out of me. And their little mo- they wouldn't yeah. take their motorcycle glasses off inside the shop. <laughs> they were so serious all the time. I mean, there was some, but they were also good guys too. But they don't play. They're not. They're not there I, to let anything happen. Especially sheriffs, and, you know, and 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 yeah. and I would assume the police department up there, especially in cent- Central California and Northern Cal. Um, right. There's there's a, a lot of like you said, very rich people, and so and they need protected. That's it. Um, right. Serve and protect, and and they mainly do that. The policing that's done in Central California, be it the sheriff's department or the police department. They mainly do that, and it's it's really good to see that when you know shit actually hits the fan. There's a cliche for you um, that they step up, they step up immediately, man. No, nope, they, they controlled do. the situation. They got except they didn't have um, a a an evacuation plan for for the Gilroy Festival. They didn't have an evacuation uh, plan, according to witnesses uh, that were like running away from the scene. They were actually detained at a certain point and weren't allowed to go to their cars and stuff. And their cars are parked way up because like Gilmore Festival is in the middle of freaking fields and your cars are all parked up these, you know, dirt roads and stuff. So parked out in, in, in other fields. And so they're, you know, it's actually hard to kind of get to if there's that many people there. And there were that many people there, even though they were uh, closing down. They were kind of closing down the Gilroy Festival when when the shooting happened. Right. So a lot of people had already left. But the the majority of people that were left uh, there um, that were there during the shootings, they were detained. So. Well, I can almost understand that depending if they thought – because they thought there might be a second subject, and I can understand the police might do that. That's understandable. Um, I I think you're right. They need to have an evacuation plan. But being that you've been there, I've been there, it is just a big fenced-in area of film. They think you just cut through the fence, which isn't hard to do to get into it. I mean, it's not like it's a super secure farm. He supposedly supposedly came in through a fenced area and, like, walked into where the kids were all sliding down a slide and a three-story tall, you know, plastic slide. And uh, and they – and then started lighting up kids. Like, what? What? I, I don't understand, dude. I really fucking don't understand this mentality. There's something fucking wrong. And it pisses me off, dude. 347-989-0126. Sorry, trying to curb my uh, my my uh, exclamations, but I, 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 for some reason, can't. Like I said, there's just too much douchebaggery going on, including number 45 today. That freaking douchebag. He got up there and because they signed the 9-11 bill. I don't mean to just jump to it, but I'm just going from douchebag to douchebag. That's all I'm doing. Um, if they signed the 9-11 bill in order to help the, uh, the first responders, and he alluded to him being a first responder himself. Right, Dude, right. I, I, I watched all of that. The only thing that I ever heard from his mouth was during an interview where he said, now that those buildings are down, I have the tallest building in New York, bragging right. after the buildings went down. Right. Such, uh, dude, I, you know, I, I just, oh, man, 
he's so frustrating. And this whole thing is so frustrating. You you think with the gun violence over the weekend, that's what they would be talking about. That's what he would be talking about. You would hope, but no, instead he's tripling down. Now we're having... He's finished with the squad for a couple seconds, and now he's on to Elijah Cummings in Baltimore. That was the other big yeah. news of the weekend, of course. Oh, no, Baltimore, they, yeah. they, all, they all stood up. Dude, there was like 3 million people that showed up downtown Baltimore and started, like, not protesting. Everybody was like, we've got the greatest city in the world. And everybody, you know, anything that, that has needed cleaned up has been cleaned up. So, except for there's a couple of people that are like, no, we still got some big-ass rats. There's rats in every freaking city. Well, I mean, and the thing is, you got to be careful when you say stuff like that because people are going to look into it. And so the newest thing now is, of course, his little uh, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, owns three buildings that are rat infested. (laughs) Um, So it's like, yeah, you're right. Your son-in-law is the one that's causing it in that part of town. Um, So it's like, he doesn't have a clue. He does not have a clue. And supposedly oh, the, I forget the name of the kitchen that's called something, it's not Trump kitchen, but it's something kitchen in his uh, Trump Tower in New York was closed down because of rats. The actual kitchen because in the of, hotel. Yeah, no, they got a C rating. The Trump health Tower. department came in and gave them a C yeah. rating because they found rats and, so and rat like, feces and cockroaches as well. They found all of these things in the kitchen, and I'm pretty sure it is Trump Tower. I don't like saying his name. How do you it, say? How do you say no, his name? Kind of like the 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 rat protests too much. Or uh, speaking of uh, Steinbeck and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, like, come on. He, isn't he going to try to, as far as director of national national what is it intelligence? He's going to try to put in Ratcliffe with all this talking about rats. Uh, you know, I'm like, wow, this dude actually has a last right? name that starts with it. Exactly. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Gonna yeah, that's the big stories. The two big stories over the weekend there were uh, was Baltimore, which no one's having any of that, and uh, the good for the right. city for setting up for themselves. I mean, yeah, he's trying to get really him cool. rep, rep Elijah Cummings because he's in charge of the um, oversight committee that has a lot of subpoena power, and he was trying to get back at him for saying that there was detention centers were in horrible conditions, which they were proved to be. I mean, how he can how they can straight face say that these things aren't bad when there's videotape of with the vice president there. I don't know how he could with a straight face say there's not problems at the border. I mean, at least own up to him and say, yeah, we're trying to fix them. But uh, just right. to say, Nope, there's nothing here. You're not seeing anything. It's like, dude, it's on video um, with your vice president. Uh, 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 no, it. it's people. Yeah. And, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is going over there. Uh, um, Congresswoman, right? Isn't she? Um, yeah. uh, you know, elected official uh, is actually gone there, and there are children being detained. There are parents being detained. There are people in cages. And, this and well, the thing really is, you have to listen to the word because they don't allow cameras in there for everyone, including Congress people, except the vice president yep. got cameras in there, and that's when we actually caught it. The other place you have to take their word for it. So it's like, well, maybe they're just adding on to it. But then no, but we you actually have the vice president it. is allowed cameras, <laughs> and you actually see it. So, I mean, what is most logical, oh, that nice everybody move, else is lying or that is actually is happening? The actual one time images. You can tape it, you see it. Yeah, you actually yeah. can see it. So it's just ridiculous. So, I mean, now he went on 
Elijah Cummings. He went on Al Sharpton. He went on anyone who's not my favorite person of all people, but I mean, the guy, right. he's, he just keeps going. I mean, he just keeps going off on people. It's ridiculous. Um, so we'll see what I, happens. I kind of like, like, you know, 45 is like, like, like that dress that was posted a, a couple of, a couple of years ago, whether or not it was blue or gold, I think is, is the dress. And I think there was a pair of tennis shoes that was posted the same thing. I mean, it's like, is, is it stewed orange or a white supremacist? I'm, I'm not sure which, which color this guy actually is. So somebody <laughs> I just don't understand the logic behind it. I mean, I don't understand where his logic come from. The logic states that Hillary lost 20% plus of the black vote compared to Barack Obama, which is why one of the reasons she lost the presidency. So of all the people you can piss Uh, off, why are you pissing off the black people? I don't understand why he's pissing off black people that can literally think his election. I mean, it just makes no sense to me. No, it's very it's 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 very strange to me too. There's a lot of, and I think they're just conservatively financial or financially conservative. I, I'm not exactly sure because I've had these arguments with Katie about, and not arguments, but discussions about um, the Latino uh, community and 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 in like and and why they don't necessarily show up for the um, elections when it's extremely important for them to show up. And, and right. the same thing in the black community. Why don't you guys show up when it's extremely important for you to show up? And I know that there's been voter suppression all over the place and in every state in the United States. But you, oh, yeah. have, to, you have to be strong enough to just go and just vote. You have to just be strong enough just to do that, and so they really need to do that. It doesn't, and regardless of what's going to happen in in your particular state, you have right. to you have the right to to give your voice at that moment. So say something, you know, actually mark it down. Well, I think if this motivates them to over sixty percent again, I think he could be in big trouble, and that's what I'm kind of hoping for because he needs. It's to electoral be in big trouble, college, otherwise. though, man. It's not popular vote yet, so it's electoral college. And uh, yeah, but like as far I said, as I 70, can see, they votes. already got that wrapped up. Seventy thousand votes. I don't think uh, he does. I don't think he does. We I talked don't about know. That last week. He's he's underwater. I don't know. It's, it's going to take a couple more states. Votes. He had three Sorry, states last year with seventy thousand votes that he right. won by. Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, right. Pennsylvania. He's losing okay. in Pennsylvania and Michigan right now. So that's okay. two of the three he's lost. So, I don't know if he'll if lose Wisconsin, even though that. they've gone a little more blue. No, because um, Wisconsin's more really red. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a hard one to win. I know a lot um, of people that live in Wisconsin. So, uh, and you know, my my dad is a huge Packard fan. So he's seen like every game up in Green Bay, even though he's from Chicago. I've never quite understood that, Dad. What you're from Chicago, man? I know he's listening, so that's why I'm saying something. Um, you're from Chicago, dude. You're from Illinois. Why, why are you not you know, rooting for the Bears? Bears are a Super Bowl-winning team, too. I know it's because he met Vince Lombardi and he met Bart Starr, so I get that. But I've met Walter Payton, and I'm not even a Chicago Bears fan. <laughs> I was yeah, but a video, dude, I mean, but a music video at with least, Walter Payton. <laughs> at least your dad not, is Wisconsin. 
At least your dad is Wisconsin adjacent. I mean, when we got yeah, to meet in Las is, Vegas, like we hours. went to a we went to a Packers <laughs> fan who lives in Vegas, and that's Packers oh. fandom right there. <laughs> oh, so no. at Dude, least dad, your dad, dad is Packers adjacent. No, our friend, she's got, she's got a car. Our friend there is in Vegas, and she's a is... Packer fan. Oh, <laughs> dude, she is. She's not only a Packers fan, and her car is loaded with like Packers helmets, and it's and it's and it's wrapped. <laughs> it's not even painted. It's like uh, uh, I forgot what they call that, where it's a plastic wrap that goes around the car. No, it's called wrapping. In the green yeah, it's and called gold. wrapping. Yeah. It, yeah, yep. in, in green and gold, and and dude, I mean, she's got like a bunch of Packers names on it, and all these people that she's met, and and but she dyes her hair man. gold. She dyes right. her own hair gold, Gosh. and she wears like green and gold all the time, and and yeah, she's she's a trip. There's a little shrine in the front yard of the car. Packers, a little shrine, and oh, uh, dude, there's a huge yeah, shrine in the front yard. She is a she is a fan and she's in Vegas, so your dad can be piggy forgiven since he's at least Wisconsin adjacent. <laughs> no, it's still five hours. It's still five hours to get up there, just one way from Chicago. Yeah, Vegas so. is three days. <laughs> yep. Oh, God. Yeah. All right, we're halfway we through. Let's go it. ahead and. Uh, Take a little break here. We'll go into the unknown since we never know what this administration is doing next. This is Preston Wiggins into the unknown. Give us a call in the second hour, guys. You have about a half hour, 347-989-0126. We'll catch you in about three and a half minutes.
All righty, we are back. That's Preston Wiggins into the unknown. Guys, give us a call, 347-989-0126. You have about 25 minutes left. We've been talking about the news of the weekend, which is, of course, the shootings in uh, Brooklyn and Gilroy, and, of course, uh, the racist baiting still going on now in Baltimore and Revenal Stratton. A couple things I wanted to hit on that we talked about last week that are back in the news a little bit. We're talking how he wants to uh, remove $3 million in food stamps or 3 million people from food stamps. Uh, It's going to found out they, they decided uh, over the weekend, they looked into a little deeper and it was never announced before, but if they go ahead and through with these cuts, it's going to cut 500,000 children off of their free school meals. Uh, yeah, what a douchebag. Along with people missing the food stamps. And once again, yeah. there's, a bunch of private time, there's a bunch of corporations that are in small towns that you guys can fully take care of. You know, just do what um, – uh, shit, I forgot who was doing that. Uh, uh, the guy in um, uh, Pennsylvania, right, uh, who's given monies to the, um, to the schools. So that they can have, oh, the you know, people? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Chobani people. Sorry, um, okay, yeah. Uh, but they're, yeah, they're giving. No, there's somebody else too that's doing that. Uh, there's another uh, philanthropist who's a, a billionaire oh, okay. who's like, okay. yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving a, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to cover the, the frigate or whatever it is to cover right. the um, uh, amount for uh, mainly lower income families to be able to make sure that their kids are fed at school. Dude, this is just yeah, so 3. disgusting. Yeah, people they think this will cut, and plus another half million children will lose school lunches if this cuts goes through. I mean, we're not going to cut tax breaks. These rich people, we'll let them get more money. Yeah. But these people are living off food stamps. We're going to cut 3.1 million of those off and stop uh, school lunches you, for half a million kids. You got to watch Handmaid's Tale, brother. You got you to gotta watch that. They, they talk about how when there were orphans or when there, were, uh, when there was a lower class that they used to take care of them, that the billionaires used to take care of them. And in, the, in you know, Handmaid's Tale, there no longer is. So, I mean, some brutal stuff happens like this, like they cut funding so that they have to starve while they're at school. Which should be socialized. Their education should be socialized. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts, dude. Mm, It's disgusting behavior. It's it's making me want to swear again. It's making making me want to go off on a fucking rant because it's really really disgusting. Yeah, it's, Dude, it's, I just don't uh, understand not, people's behavior. We're not doing anything for the middle class or the lower class. We're doing only things to help the upper middle class and the very rich. And it just doesn't and the make... elite. Right, yeah. I mean, I don't understand why people don't see that. And if it's only the 1% that are doing this, why are so many other people voting for it? I don't understand. If it's only 1% of the people that are benefiting, the top 10 or say it's the top 10% well, no, of the they country. Thought. That are benefiting. Yeah, from no, it. they, they thought they were going to benefit. They thought they were going to benefit from it. And what is the problem? Mm-hmm. If you're talking about, you know, going back two years or two and a half years, they thought they were going to benefit from it, and they didn't, because they thought yeah. they were going to get tax cuts as well, and they didn't. 
No, they yeah, I don't know. I, I seriously don't understand, you know, with the amount of deficit that we actually have here. Three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six. Um, but the amount of deficit that we have here, uh, why we're taking away from the very, very bottom, that makes no sense. No, you take from take away from the top, man. Take away from the top down. So let's start with military spending. I know it's important. I know it's important to protect all of our borders, be it water or be it, you know, but that's done with, uh, or be it land, uh, but that's mostly done with satellites at this point. We hardly have any ground crews. We've got drones. We've got all sorts of stuff. We don't need anything else as far as monies. We just need to pay the people that are already working and get rid of things like ICE. Get rid of things like ICE, which have no jurisdiction. There's no, there's no jurisdiction for them. So we should concentrate on stuff like that. So if you're gonna if you're gonna delete somewhere, you know, how about all those people that you're paying to do the jobs at ICE? Uh, what? Hey, gone. All right, cool. Transfer them over to some other uh, type of policing, and and get rid of the force. And how much money are you spending there? It's probably close to the equivalent, right? If not more. Yeah, it's 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 just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. What else if you're trying to figure out areas to cut, you can't cut from the bottom. The bottom's no. already suffering. They're they're already starving to death. They're already if you're living on food stamps, you're screwed. In the United States, you're screwed. So what, dude? And you're taking it away from them? What the hell are they going to do? And especially the mentally ill offered- that are that are lower income, they don't even have any health care now. You're taking everything away from them. All you're doing is making people homeless. That doesn't make any sense at all. When I first had to quit my job to take care of my dad, um, in Ohio, you don't, you cannot get unemployment or any benefits for taking care of uh, a sick the relative, other. which wow. you can. And there's only thirteen other states. Or, 13 other states that don't do it. Ohio's one of them, of course. It's always okay. been a backward state. But so I, um, but they sent me all the stuff. I was, I was eligible for food stamps. I didn't do it because my mom and dad had enough money. But the maximum food stamps I could get would be $200. That's wow. $50 a week for a person. I mean, that's not uh, a lot that's not of money when you look at it. To do anything. Um, yeah, no, that's not and enough it to do anything. And, and food stamps do not include... You're non-perishable. So, like, if you were living off food stamps and every other re- income resource, food stamps are not good for, like, toiletries. It's not good for toilet paper and things like that. It's not good for anything except for actual food, which is which is a good thing. But $200 for a person is not much at all. So it's not no. like these guys were, were giving them tons of money. I, I can right. live off $200 we're not even on give, my They're own not even getting enough money to survive. Right. So yeah, it's um, it's not a good thing. No, uh, it's pretty fucking disgusting no. behavior. To be done by by our government, our government, the uh, United States, right? United, right? Yep. Yeah, where's the unification, man? And Pissing then three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six. Another strange uh, development in news we were talking about last week that is now current news. <laughs> Dude, um, everything that I mentioned last week happened. 
<laughs> every every single thing, including a, a flyby by an asteroid. That freaking asteroid flew by us at forty five thousand miles an hour. <clears throat> I did see that. It's stuck I in a comet's that. tail. Yeah, and, and, and but I predicted the one for that they've already seen. Uh, that's the October third. Uh, October third? Yeah, October third. No, August third. Oh shit. I, one of the thirds uh, coming up here in the next month or two. Um, so uh, the I think it's August third because this 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 uh, comet's tail that we are going through that we're passing through that the Earth is path- passing through um, is uh, has got a 2,700 megaton. What will release a 2,700 megaton bomb if it, it hits our atmosphere? 2,700 megatons. Dude, we're going to be completely wiped out. If that thing comes into our atmosphere, but the one that just passed by us that the that nobody saw, <laughs> none of our telescopes, nobody saw it until it was way too late. It was like hours before it was going to pass by us that one of our telescopes right. picked it up. It's hauling ass, and so are we through space, and and it blew by us between the moon and us. So it definitely had the opportunity to get caught in our orbit and get dragged down into our atmosphere. But it, it was jamming, dude, when it went by. And that would have well, been they a hell say of a when thing. you so get that, caught that between was a, the moon and New York City, the best thing you could do is fall in love. So instead of all falling in love, <laughs> yeah, there's a line in Handmaid's Tale again uh, that has to do with, the, you know, you, you find love anywhere that you can in this place. And in that hellhole, and you know, in in their storyline, yeah, I get it. <clears throat> in this one too, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to share love, and it's really pissing me off that you people don't get it. Just don't get it. There you go. And like I was gonna say, um, other stuff that followed over this weekend into news of last week: the Justice Secretary Wanda Vasquez of Puerto Rico who was uh-huh. set to assume the role of governor, tweeted yesterday, she don't want the job. She <laughs> has said she's not going to take it. I missed that. Nice. Uh, yep. So uh, as we talked about last week, Ricardo Rosselio decided to step down after all the protests. He was going to step down August 2nd right. to allow this transition. The, um, the mid guy, the lieutenant governor, which should have taken over, was part of the same scandal, so he had to resign. So that left this Wanda Vasquez, who was the Justice Secretary of Puerto Rico, to assume governor. And she said, uh, I don't want it. Uh, wow. Yeah, I guess as a supporter of Vasquez, though, so the kind of wrinkle in it. Is oh, okay. Says, so that's I why she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want it. It's the same, it's the same regime. So she's like, no, let's change this up. Which is right, good. and she's that, saying that the governor do, should submit a candidate for the position. So she's kind nice. of letting him pick her, pick a successor. So she's. How about they just vote someone well. in? How about they just vote someone in who actually deserves it? They need to, but who they they need someone acting for a little bit. You can't throw an election together in a week. They have to they have to find someone to take it, and they only have these two people as people that get it. They don't have any line of succession past these two people, I guess. Wow. So they have no one to take over the governorship and no way to throw an election together in a week. So it's going to be There's interesting. There's no designated survivor this for this one, huh? It seems as not. 
So uh, it's interesting news. I just saw that today, and I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. So we'll see how that plays out next. This guy's supposed to be gone next Friday. So we'll see if they find uh, uh, governor for Puerto Rico. Um, They are U.S. territory, so if anybody wants to be a governor, they might want to run down to Puerto Rico and see what they can do. I told my cousin, I sent my cousin a text. She lives down there. I said, go raise your hand. What the heck? What's the worst they can do? So I said, you were in the service, so. Her and her husband were both in the Navy. But anyway, yeah, so I thought that was an interesting story. So Puerto Rico is not going to have anyone in charge in a week. So we'll see what happens. Interesting. There. We need to follow that news. Well, no governor. No <laughs> governor in charge. There's there's always people right. that are above that. So, oh, yeah. you know, there's – yeah. Just no governor in charge. Nobody right. to take responsibility. Um, yeah, just south of there in Brazil, uh, there were 52 inmates that died in prison riots. They're having a bunch of prison riots down there. It seems like all of South America is having a little bit of a problem. Um, and, uh, they're, they're in between rival gangs, uh, that the prison riots are happening. Um, cause there's been multiple prison riots over the past couple of months and, okay. and it's, and it's all about drug families. They're, all these gangs are members of the same drug family, and they're all fighting each other. So there's all this inner fighting for control of drugs. And once again, dude, I, I'm going back to legalizing. You know, we legalize freaking everything, dude. Opioids, we legalize freaking cocaine, we re- legalize weed, we legalize everything, and then you don't have to worry about this. What's happening down there? Dude, 16 of these inmates, of the 52 that were killed, uh, were decapitated. I mean, it's really sick, violent shit. And I'm really tired of it. And, you know, as part of it is a legalization thing. And I understand what your feeling is, is that, you know, there's cliches out there of people going hog wild if they're, if they're, you know, if you've got legal cocaine. And, dude, they're going to do it anyway. And there's all of these fights and there's all of these drug czars and there's all of these people that are being affected by it. And there's all of these countries that are at war. And we've got immigrants trying to get into the United States because of drug wars that are happening in their countries. It's, it's really a disgusting mess. So if you just simply legalize and regulate, then you get rid of the majority of that mess. Because those drug czars suddenly become our dealers. They become our dispensary owners. They become the people that we actually need to talk to. They have the growers. Those people become horticulturalists. They become our scientists. They become our growers for the things that we actually need. Because humans are still going to do this shit. People like to get high. So if you just look at it realistically, and not as big business, because it is freaking huge business, but take the business end out of it and give them actual titles then and, and actually legal titles, all the violence goes away. There's the 11 states in, in, the, in the conversation that you and I had before. Um, it was like last week or the week before uh, about legalization. There's 11 states in the United States who have legalized all the way across the board uh, um, weed, uh, marijuana. And they are – and yes, like you pointed out, the black market is still up in like Southern California or, or California alone. The black market is still up. But in, in California, you have what, 17 million people total? 
And of that, you've got 9 million people that are underage. So you're going to have them still because, like, I smoked my first joint, or at least I was, I was, I had, you know, um, uh, 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 I don't know what the word is, a contact high from people that I was hanging out with at Second City when I was 14, and then I smoked my first joint when I was like 16, so or 17. So it, it's it's so, and I did it because I had freaking migraines, and it got rid of my migraines. Um, so it was actually a medicinal use for me. I wasn't just trying to get high. And I was actually anti-drug when I was in high school. So, but I was still, everybody around me, I, I went to an arts high school. I hung out with artists. I hung out with actors. I hung out with comedians. I hung out with dancers. I, even the dancers. Everybody's getting high on something, on something, in, you know, including teachers, including uh, freaking um, administration. And it's like, you know, all of these people are getting high on shit. Nobody's worried about going to jail. Nobody. That's not what's on their highest priority when they're getting high. They just want to get high. So, and they want to fix whatever ailment it is that they might have, that they might be suffering from. So as far as the legalization goes, the, the only reason there's a whole bunch of violence going on is because it's big business. So you take that away. You take the corruption aspect away because it is totally corrupt to keep it illegal and still have a black market. Keep, make it legal all the, all the way across the board, and then you don't have that problem. Those people are invited into the mix. They're invited into the party. They don't have to literally party, no pun intended, but they're, they're invited in, and they, they are able to, to actually make money legally doing what they know best. Yeah, that's fine for the distributors, but the people that are hooked on it, that doesn't do anything for them, though. Uh, yes, uh, it does. Because, yes, it does. Absolutely. Um, what we have found with the legalization of weed is that in places like Colorado, um, the second that they legalized, um, uh, 25% of the prescription drug overdoses went down. 25% of prescription use went down. Um, 25% of domestic violence went down. 25% of road rage went down. 25% of accidents on the road went down. 25% of speeding went down. Everything that is a negative aspect you'd think would, would you know, be heightened. It's just that you get rid of your dealers. You no longer have a dealer. You have a dealer in states where, where it's illegal, absolutely, and he's getting his shit from, or she is getting his shit from Colorado or from California. But, you know, make it legal, and you no longer have a dealer. You have a dispensary owner. That's how that money got shifted over. And then that money becomes a part of the economy, and places like Colorado, they have added every single year because of the amount of tax dollars that they get. They're getting a minimum of $100 million a year in taxes, minimum. And they have applied those monies to education, to health care, and to uh, infrastructure. And it is saving their state. They do have to pay attention to water because we keep stealing it. Uh, places like Nevada and California to keep stealing the Colorado River water. But that's a def- different issue. Um, you know, as far as legalization is concerned, you get rid of all that shit. And what you just said about about people – what did you just say? That the people that are hooked, that it doesn't do anything for them? 
It absolutely right. does. It's regulated. And then they can actually go into a doctor because I've seen doctors for medical marijuana. You actually go into a cocaine doctor who knows what the medicinal purposes are of cocaine. Dude, they put cocaine in epidurals for pregnant women. That's what's in there. So your baby automatically is coming out and he's like flying high. So, you know, it's like you're already introducing that to them. And it's just a prescription form of cocaine. That's, that's all it is. So you would do the exact same thing. It would be regulated so that you can – it would be cut properly. That's part of the problem with illegal drugs, dude, is that um, the overdoses that happen is because it's not cut properly. You're a lot of times getting stuff that – be it cocaine or heroin that is not cut properly. You cannot put pure cocaine into your system. You will die. You cannot put pure heroin into your system. You will die. So you can't do that shit. And that's what these, a lot of these people are, over, are overdosing on is the fact that there's just too much there. So if it's regulated and it's cut with something like B12, some vitamin, if it's cut with something that, is, that scientifically is not going to harm you and it, and it dilutes the potency of said cocaine or said heroin, you won't have an, an overdose problem. It's the same with weed. They've gotten really scientific with weed, really, really scientific. And, you know, they know potencies. They know all there's, – there's over 100 different drugs actually in marijuana that are, that are – that will help us. We just don't know how they work. There's, there's 100 different um, drugs in any different strain. And they, they all have medicinal properties in them, and it's the same with Coke, and it's the same with heroin. And heroin's just an opioid. It's just a poppy plant. It's those pretty little poppies that they talk about in The, in the Wizard of Oz. That's what they're talking about. Poppies, poppies everywhere. Yeah, that's heroin. Right. So the, there's, there's a heroin you dilute it. problem in the country. People are dying. Yeah, and then they get an opportunity. Yes, and they will have an opportunity to go to a doctor and get something else. Methadone, they've done it up in Vancouver, dude, for years. It's, it's easily 30 years that they've had a problem with heroin up in Vancouver, and they had a serious problem with it until they started giving um, new needles. They started giving for people that shoot up, which is disgusting. I would never do it. And not, not ever, if you ever find me with a needle in my arm and I'm dead, somebody killed me. Um, I hate needles. I, I, I don't even go to doctor needles. So, um, but, but they, up in Vancouver, set up an area where people who are heroin addicts can come there, get the necessary treatment that they need. And if they want rehabbed, then they can get rehabbed because they, they put them on methadone. They put them into you know, methadone clinics. So it's the same shit that should happen here in the United States. And address the problem, really look at the problem. And if it is a problem, then have it taken care of the correct way. And, and don't judge these people. I'm, you know, that's part of where I'm at with all of this is humans like to get high, and we will continue to get high. Dude, there are people that lick the backs of toads and shit to get high because there's a poisonous toad. So, you know, and, and I mean, there are people that are out there tripping on ayahuasca and tripping on peyote and, and doing all sorts of crazy shit. They will always do it. 
always, always, always. But it doesn't we mean might it's as well good, though. It doesn't mean it's on, good. Well, that, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. But we're saying, but we but we're saying legalize whether it's the medicinal property. So let's legalize it. I think you should know that before you legalize something. Cocaine, don't you cocaine want is a plant. It, it comes from the cocoa plant. Cocaine is a plant. It doesn't matter. It comes Who from cares the cocoa where plant. it comes from? And so, well, that, that means God it. brought it here, dude. It doesn't matter. That means God brought it here, man. No, it's bullshit. God brought you don't it believe here, in dude. God. You don't not believe in God. Bullshit. I call bullshit. I'm agnostic at best. At best, you are correct. But so I've like, still studied every. I've studied every single religion I can. No, doesn't mean it's good for you. It's, because that's it's that's not the point. There's a lot Being of good or bad is not the point, for. man. That's true. It Absolutely, and is. it's Mark Poison. And it's Mark Poison. No, uh, cocaine has a whole bunch of medicinal properties, and so does heroin. So do opioids. That's why people yeah. are addicted to oxycontin. It's an opioid, dude. It's just prescription. There's, right, there's exactly. so much overusage of that shit. It's crazy. Right. So, you know, to compare to heroin? No, it's not, but it's legal. And they can actually well, get help when they have a, a, an Oxycontin addiction. It's, it's, the, the drug is legal. People overdosing from it, it's not legal. They're doing doctor shopping and all sorts of things to make it yeah. not happen. It's just, it's just, just because it's legal doesn't mean they're doing it to, by prescription. That, that's a whole different thing. It, it's legal so and they got it from it a doctor. It leads to abuse. It leads to it's abuse. It's legal and most likely they got it from a doctor. And yeah, they're going to abuse it, abuse it anyway. That's what I said. People like to get high. So you make it so that they can't abuse it. You only get a certain amount. You only get a certain amount that's cut. That's the way it already and is. Your prescription's only for a facility. certain amount. But then people go, go to dishonest ways to get more. It's already done that way. It's your your prescription is for a certain amount. You're only allowed a certain amount. That's what it's the way it's done. It's not done any different than that. Your prescription gives you a certain amount. These are people that are going out buying, stealing, and cheating to get more. So you're letting them. So you're making it available to them. If you make it available to them, what's going to stop that from happening? Well, it's understand. already available to them, dude. No, no bullshit, dude. It's already available to them. It's well, but not in the amount. It's already available to them. The problem, but yeah, cocaine is already for, available. For Heroin is, is already available. For, for other things, right? But not for for way it's being used to be abused. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll go into that again. Dude, people tomorrow. are going to abuse stuff. You can't judge them for right. for abusing shit. People abuse you drugs sure all can. the time. Why? You can. Who are you to to do that, man? Who are you to judge them on that shit? Do you want people judging you? Seriously, I, I on the way you behave or, or what you're, what you're uh, you know, do, do you want them judging you on But you, you should never DJ? encourage it. We have to stop Dude, I can't. We have to I stop can't, right now. I, I can't. Guy, we're getting, we're against Why? the hard stop. We're, we're against the hard stop. Time wow, to go. dude, you're cutting me we'll off because I'm calling tomorrow. you out on this yep. shit. No, I'm calling you out because the new show starts in 30 seconds. No, so you're cutting done. me off. We're, We'll be back tomorrow, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll finish the conversation tomorrow. Bye-bye. Peace.
Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left is Trade Show. It is Monday, July 29th, 2019, and I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I appreciate you listening in today. Hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. I sure did. I'll talk about this in a couple of seconds. I'm looking forward to bringing you a great show today. In just a little bit, I'll have one of my favorite guests. Funny man Frank DeCaro will be joining me live. We're going to be talking about his new book, All About Drag. And then I'll be playing an interview with author Kellen, who wrote a couple of great memoirs. I had a chance to talk to him down in Palm Springs. Have not had a chance to air the episode yet, so I want to bring that interview to you in a little bit. There are a couple of great books. So we're going to get its author day here on the Left of Straight Show. We're going to all of that in just a few minutes. Thanks so much for tuning in again. I hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. It's a little warm and humid here in Northeast Ohio, but I had a fantastic time. I decided last second to take a little road trip to Columbus, which is our state capital here, about two and a half hour drive from me. I went down for a couple reasons. My good buddies at the Evolution Theater Company, I partner with the Evolution Theater Company and bring a lot of their um, guests and artistic director to talk about their plays every season on the show, and then they uh, welcomed me down there. They did an amazing production of The View from Upstairs. This was the final weekend for it. I went and saw it Friday night. This is a musical inspired by, if you're not familiar with the story, the Upstairs Bar was down in Florida, and it was burned down. It was a hate crime, and many people died. Um, It was not a good a chapter in LGBT history for darn sure. But this is a musical based on it, of all things, that is very poignant. It, it has a lot of humor to it. It has some great music to it. But it also hits you in the gut at the end, man. I mean, it, the cast was amazing. Um, it basically tells the story of someone from the future that goes back into time the days of this club and of the fire and what happened. And so it's like a fantastical, uh, mystical type musical, but uh, it talks about the people who died there. And it talks about the kind of people that inhabited that uh, bar and what type of a place it was. And it was some amazing storytelling. So big shout out to uh, Mark Schwamberger, who is the artistic director, uh, executive director of Evolution Theater Company. They are Central Ohio's only LGBT theater company, and now they're doing equity work, which is amazing. And they have three shows left this season, including bringing my buddy Stephen Fales, who's been on the show quite a few times, to do his one-man show, Mormon Boy, is going to be there. They're doing uh, a couple of great shows, and I will have all of them on the show very soon as their plays come up. So thank you to Evolution Theater Company for inviting me down. The View from Upstairs was an amazing musical. The cast did a fantastic job, 
And I I had a gut punch in the end. I did not know what to expect. I was enjoying it the whole way through. And then you get the story at the end and um, it, it's mesmerizing. So good job on those guys. And also while I was there, the Ohio State Fair is going on. And I love me a good county or state fair. So I had never been to the Ohio State Fair in all the years I've lived here. So went to the Ohio State Fair, had a fantastic time. Hopefully you're following me on your social media. If not, please do on Instagram and Twitter. It's at left of straight, spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, it's the Left of Straight Show and Left of Straight Radio Facebook pages. I put some pictures up on social media. Uh, They have a little um, sky tram that goes from one side to the other. And so we all decided to go on the sky tram to go to the far side and walk back. It's like a big old fair. And I kind of forgot I was afraid of heights. And, oh, my God, being up there. And if you look at the picture, you can see that these things are held on by electricity, by just like a little small, maybe six-inch long uh two-inch wide little thing holding you onto the cable. I was scared to death the entire ride over to the far side of the fair. I took some pictures. You can look them out on social media, but, oh, my God, I was freaking out. So, yeah, very scary stuff. I had a great time. Like I said, thank you, Columbus, for a great time this weekend. Had some good eating. Got to go to a lot of – see a couple of friends, do some great things. So great time had by all. Uh, I want to talk about for a second, um, good buddy of the show, Blake MacGyver, very good friend of the show, great singer, good actor, child star, um, put his foot in his mouth on Twitter last week, said a very, um, very tasteless joke and got just pilloried over social media. And end up having to delete all his accounts and is continue to be raked over the coals for this. And, you know, I have a hard time with this. Um, not because I just know him. It's, it's for anyone this happens to. Social media is such a good and a bad thing. But a tasteless joke is a tasteless joke. And hopefully you learn from it. Hopefully you take your lumps and hopefully you move on. But the piling on that is part of social media anymore is just absolutely horrible. I mean, I don't understand why we need to pillory someone for saying something really dumb. And I understand that it was dumb. And I understand that it was tasteless. But you need to move on from it. And you don't ruin careers over this thing. Um, There's a difference between hurting someone physically, attacking someone physically. Words do hurt, but this wasn't directed at any one person. This was directed at an entertainment project of all things. And I, for one, stand with Blake MacGyver. Uh, I don't think his career should be done for over this. I just want, I'm going to try to have him on the show. He's keeping a low profile as well. He should, because it has not let up yet. 
And I just want to say that I support him. And I think that uh, the social media world wouldn't happen now is absolutely ridiculous. So there, I said it. Um, I'm still working on our website. So that's still happening. The only story I really wanted to talk about, um, they just to prove how anti-gay these Republicans are in the state of Virginia, a gentleman, um, Congressman Riggleman, agreed to officiate a gay wedding over the weekend. Um, the, the couple volunteered for his campaign while he was campaigning. He eventually became friends with them, so they asked Congressman Riggleman to preside over their wedding on Sunday. You think it'd be no big deal. Wrong. Um, it seems that Riggleman's colleagues in the Virginia State Legislature um, thought that he was being too friendly to the gay community. So they held an emergency meeting to discuss reprimanding him. They tried to censor this congressman for officiating a gay couple's wedding. Guys, things like this just get on my last gay nerve. So, yeah, um, the Republican Party is still as homophobic as ever, especially in Virginia. So I just thought I'd bring that to attention. Read up on it on your own. The good thing is the of the legislature, um, when voting to censure him brought by the leadership, only four people voted for it. So that says a little something for the rest of the, of the Congress. But come on, let's get real, guys. Ridiculous stuff. So anyway, we'll finish with that. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. I'm glad we got to go over all that stuff today. I have a great interview coming up. Frank DeCaro is one of my favorites to have on the show. Uh, done so much for our community and is such a great entertainer and comedian. We're going to take a quick break, play a little bit of Tara Naomi, help you fly. When we come back, we'll be talking to the one, the only, Mr. Frank DeCaro. Stay tuned. We'll be back on the other side. Know how misery loves her company. Got a party gather around you now. They come running from far and wide. But who's gonna help you fly? And they come calling when you're falling down. Someone always pick you up off the ground. Oh, nobody wanna see you cry. But who's gonna help you fly? Whoa, whoa, 
All righty, we are back. That was Tara Naomi. Guys, my first guest today has been a great friend of the show and to me. He's an iconic comedian, radio, television personality, and just been such a great representative of our LGBTQ community. His new book celebrates the history of drag and the entertainment industry and has become an instant sensation. He was a celebrated talk show host on Sirius's OutQ Radio. His comedy has entertained us for years. He can still be seen on the road with his good friend Lisa Lampanelli and other venues. He was great on Comedy Central and so many fantastic shows. And he's been an inspiration to myself and to others for his commitment to fitness and transforming his body these past few years and an attitude towards good health. He's been crisscrossing the country promoting the newest book, Drag combining the big wigs of show business, combing through the big wigs of show business because I can't speak today. Please welcome back to the show the hilarious and amazing Mr. Frank DeCaro. Frank, how we doing, buddy? I'm fine. Yes, it's combing through the big wigs of show business. Combing through the big so, wigs. So that's what I've been speak. doing. Jim, you've been combing <laughs> like a champ, my friend. Welcome back to the show. I've how been, you feeling, buddy? Uh, Thank you. I'm doing well. It's been a really hectic time. I have done so many gay things that I really need to go to like a monster truck pull just to get back to center. <laughs> it, it's since there the end of April when the, I'm telling you, since the end of April when the book came out, um, it's been nuts. I started in Chicago at the Chicago Humanities Festival. Then we did events here in Los Angeles. And actually, I did Watch What Happens Live. Uh, I was the bartender. Then we did Pride Week in Los Angeles and a bunch of book events. Then I was in Palm Springs. You were there as well. Then I did New York Pride and World Pride. Then I went to Provincetown for a week. Then I was on a gay cruise with RSVP Cruises. And now I'm finally back in Los Angeles. And I'm telling you, I I need to go to like a Walmart or a monster truck pull. (laughs) Perhaps a a non-gay rodeo would be the answer. I need to do something extremely heterosexual just to get back to center. It's been so gay, but I'm not complaining. Butch it up to get back to left. I like that. Well, Well, congratulations. Only so much. Exactly. Exactly. We can't overkill there. The book is. No, I I did ride a horse yesterday. So that was good. Oh, nice. Nice. Ride a horse, ride a (laughs) cowboy. Everyone has their own preference. I choose the latter, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, this is the horse didn't complain. Book, I was friend. I love yeah. this. Five books into it. Does this one feel any different from the others besides the style or genre? Well, this one's a hit. And I think the reason that it's a big hit is because it wasn't my idea. That's what I tell people. I said, Rizzoli came <laughs> to me and said, someone needs to do a book on drag. And I think it should be you. And I wasn't convinced at first. And then I realized that I honestly, I've been drag hag number one since I was a, a tot. And, uh, <laughs> and I first saw Herman Munster in drag on the Munsters in the 60s. That was really where it began for me. And honestly, I've been a drag hag ever since. I, I really love the art form. And, and I've had a front row seat for some of the greatest drag performers of our lifetime. Uh, you know, so I... I turned out to be exactly the right person to write this book and and to share my love for drag and so that's what i've been doing and i've been talking it up every chance i get so uh it's been good well, and the, the drag queens have been so enthusiastic so 
I love that. And, and you deserve it. I mean, like I said, you've done everything from memoirs to cookbooks. So I think this, this was in your wheelhouse. I mean, some of us at a certain age know that drag's been around since before RuPaul's Drag Race. Not all the kids do today. But there's really a lot of history there. How were you able to combine all of that into just 250 pages, my friend? That had to be hard work. Honestly, it, it was. Oh, editing it was tough because I, I turned in at least – 40,000 words too many. And so I had to really go through with an editorial machete and, and do my thing. But you know, when you realize that you, that you have an embarrassment of riches and then you just chop, I I was uh, really intent on not cutting anyone out. And there were a couple of names that, that ended up on the cutting room floor, unfortunately, but that wasn't my decision. That was uh, the the publisher, but pretty much I just went through and and uh, and did a fitness program on each of the people and got them down to their their essence and <laughs> and uh, got it down to the skinniest that I could for each one so that everyone could fit in 250 some pages and uh, and and I think it worked out. It's kind of a kitchen sink approach to the art form of drag, but it was as you said, it was for the kids who think that uh, drag began with season one of Drag Race. So it was for them, and, and I wanted to bring to it my enthusiasm. And somebody very uh, who's interviewed in the book, Dennis Dermody, who used to appear on my radio show frequently, he's the cinemaniac, and he's an amazing film critic. He just said to me, you can't cover everything. So whatever you love and feel strongly about, that's what you've got to put in the book. And I took his advice right. to heart, and that's, that's really what guided me through this process. And uh and it's been it's been a real winner. It, it's exciting to uh, be a part of something that so many people are enjoying, and and uh, and I think a lot of the drag queens felt that they weren't given the respect that they're due, and and they're seeing this book as as something at least a step in the right direction for for showing them the the love and respect for their intelligence and their talent. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, it's it's being received in the right way, and that makes me very happy. Well, exactly. And it's been received, like you said, by both the, the queens, the performers, and the fans alike. You bring such life. To, I mean, our favorites, Coco Peru and Hedda Lettuce and people that have been around forever, and all the new new queens as well. But, I mean, there really is a history behind it, and you really give homage and honor to these people, too, which is, I think, part of what's resonating with so many people. Well, my love for them is very genuine. And I think that they kind of uh, because they're in drag, they don't necessarily get the credit they deserve as just some of the funniest, most talented people. And what I love about them, as someone who loves old Hollywood, I think these are really the last of the true entertainers. I think that, that no one nice. gives more than drag queens do. I mean, I've seen someone sing the the love theme to The Eyes of Laura Mars and then juggle knives. I mean... That, you don't get that much anymore, and that was the kind of thing that they, you know, when I was a really little kid, I mean, I caught the tail end of the Ed Sullivan show, the last of the great TV variety shows of the of the old guard, and I was like three years old. I really was young, but I was so impressed by, you know, that people would do anything to entertain an audience, whether it was, you know, spinning a plate on a stick or juggling or, or doing acrobatics. And I think drag queens are kind of the, the heir apparent to that. I mean, they, they'll do anything to give an audience a good time, at least the good ones. Um, right, and right, thank right. heaven audiences are finding them. When I see 
the audiences in Europe, particularly in, in England, that are turning out for Bianca Del Rio. I mean, she's playing Wembley Arena. It's like that's Elton John territory. That's insane. And and she right. deserves every bit of it. And, and and I don't know if we're quite at that level here in America, but uh, we're we're about as mainstream as drag has ever been. And and uh, and it's exciting. Very true. Definitely exciting. We'll talk about the content of the book a bit. This wasn't a solo endeavor for you. You had some great collaborations and getting pictures and hearing stories. You even did your own photo shoot. Talk about the making of the book. How did that all come about? Well, I, ju- I tell you, I took the kitchen sink approach, and I decided that I was going to focus on everyone that was of interest to me. And I realized that, a- that my own Rolodex had the – had a, I had a way of getting in touch with some of the biggest players, whether it was Charles Bush or Miss Coco Peru or Harvey Firestein or Bruce Valanche, who was kind enough to write the foreword to the book, or Bianca Del Rio and Alaska Thunder. And uh, I don't know how dirty you go, so I'll leave the rest of her name off. Alaska 5000, <laughs> we'll say. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's... Uh, you know, I was able to really use my own contact, and then I knew people, and, and you know, like Jackie Beats, and uh, and you know, and Dixie Longgate, and then they knew people, so they could put me in touch with folks. And then right. um, I, I did that, and I wanted to get them in their own words, so I either did phone interviews, or I sent them, I emailed them questions, or however they wanted to do it. I mean, um, someone. Um, you know, it, it, one person actually did messages. Uh, Courtney Act sent me messages via um, her iPhone, and she she was recording answers to questions. So it was like she was halfway around the world, and she was on a flight oh to Australia, goodness. and she was, you know, answering questions into her phone and then sending me voice messages. And so any way that I could get in touch with these folks and get their actual voices in the book, I did. And then others, you know, I did tremendous amount of research and, uh, and interviewed a lot of people and read everything I could get my hands on, whether it was vintage magazines or online blogs of obsessive drag fans or, you know, any people were, you know, have posted, uh, you know, they would, they would post actual clips from magazines and newspapers back in the day. So I was reading all this stuff and trying to digest it in a way and, and make it a, a sort of an appealing buffet for people. And, uh, and that's kind of right. what, what the book did. And then there were photographers, you know, because I mean, there was a photo budget, but it's so small that it all goes to photos that are vintage and, and archival photos. And so when you need right. contemporary things, you've really got to depend on the kindness of strangers. Um, and you have to talk to photographers <laughs> and, and who are happy to be part of it. And, and thank heaven, it was it was rare that anyone said I can't donate something to the book or sell you it for cheap or you know there were there were a few people who oh I think didn't quite understand that this was going to be kind of a definitive history and so they said that they they didn't want to be a part of it and I understand that I don't like to give my writing away for free either so why should they give right. their their drawings or their or whatever for free but so many people did donate work and and others were kind and when they did charge a fee they didn't charge too much and and so we were able to to put it together on the budget we had and and it's pretty gorgeous Rizzoli knows how to make a book that is exquisitely beautiful and and so they did that and god love them so uh um it's a beautiful volume and you can always i knew it would be that and 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 uh but you know it's such a 
an ever-changing art form that no matter how much you include, and, you know, I've got things right up to, to you know, Tootsie opening on Broadway in the book, and that was only a few months ago. But uh, right, I got right. in as much as I could, but it changes so fast that, that, you know, somebody needs to start working on the next drag book. That's all I could say. <laughs> and talk about or talk about old Hollywood. You have Bruce Valanche, as you said, doing the forward to the book. What made you choose him? What what was his experience with it? And what made him agree to the project? What 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 was well Bruce did his interest? I've like known it? Bruce for years. I adore Bruce for years. Not only did he play Edna Turnblad on Broadway in the in Hairspray. In drag, right. you know, I think he, I think that was his Broadway debut. In fact, so he made his Broadway debut in drag, which qualified him there. But he also wrote for like a half a dozen of the the greatest drag entertainers of the the sixties and seventies, and you know, and wrote material for them, and and also wrote for Bette Midler, which kind of gives you credit with the gays, of course, uh, you know. Definitely, uh, but definitely. No, I, I think that he was a perfect person to do it because he, you know, he's. He's written four drag queens. He's been a drag queen, and he's a brilliant writer uh, of in any format. So to get him to write the foreword um, and to bring his knowledge of, of drag and the, the history thereof uh, to the project was great. And and he's a buddy of mine, and I just am crazy about him. And it took one email for him to say, "Sure, I'll do it," and he did it. You know, so um, he, he, you can't, uh, you know, be anything but humble and, and grateful. He's one of our LGBT greats. I haven't like had on the show. I've always wanted to have him on, but yeah, he's he's amazing. He so is I did, I hilarious. <laughs> so as are you? No, and it's, I mean, honestly, when you can get the greatest drag talents on the phone or via email, I mean, I really am blessed to know so many of them firsthand. And you know, I mean, I I did meet divine on a number of occasions i did see sylvester live i did interview charles pierce i followed the career of lip Sinka and charles bush and you know i mean the great majority i saw flip wilson perform live you know i mean i i so many of the people who are in the book i had firsthand knowledge of and had been following for the longest time so um you kind of feel just blessed to have been, had a ringside seat for you know i mean i saw jim bailey perform sure. live in atlantic city so i mean these are oh, he's amazing you know we're, yeah. we're not messing around these really are the greatest talents of the 20th century into the 21st and um agreed to, uh, to have met the legends you know firsthand kind of makes you want to share your enthusiasm uh, or your, my lifelong enthusiasm for drag in in the right. book drag right. coming to the big wigs of showbiz so and you talk about seeing um, Herman Munster drag being. I remember Flip Wilson when I was watching that in Stanford and Son. You talked about him for a second. Talk about this early drag and how it became accepted in a time when being LGBTQ still kind of wasn't. Um, what was that era like in it? Well, I think it's interesting that, I mean, I do think drag has always been mainstream in the sense that female impersonators have been as mainstream as, I mean, Jim Bailey was on Here's Lucy with, with Lucille right. Ball. I mean, it doesn't get more in mainstream than a sitcom starring Lucille Ball. And there he was, the ruse, the, the entire shtick of that episode was that Phyllis Diller couldn't do Lucy's benefit, so Jim Bailey pretended to be her and fooled everyone. So you've got him on the most mainstream of sitcoms, and that's in late 60s, early 70s. You know, right. Chris Wilson was the early 70s as Geraldine Jones, this feminist, 
sassy, brilliant drag character that he did. The thing that one couldn't be if they were gay was out about being gay. I mean, you had to be very coded. You had to be the female impersonator with no sex life and no life outside the stage. You had to pretend to date women. You had to pull the wig off at the end of the number so that if guys were titillated, they weren't fooled into thinking you were really a woman. You know, they weren't entrapped. They should, right, you know, right. have their, their masculinity in, in any question. So there was a lot of, of that, where drag queens couldn't be themselves, you know, they, they could be speak in code, they could wink, but they couldn't, you know, I mean, you could have someone like Alan Sue's impersonating Joanne Worley on laughing in the late sixties and an early seventies, but you know, you couldn't have him be out. I don't know if he was ever officially out of the closet, even though he was, you know, right. as flaming as I am for God's sake. And I would have no career That's on true. television if it weren't for aping Alan Sue's. I mean, my entire daily show <laughs> shtick was, was a harking, harkening back to what he did on laughing. And, you know, um, so it was, it was, you know, playing that flamboyant character. I think what's exciting now is when you watch something like RuPaul's Drag Race, and you really can't give enough credit to RuPaul's Drag Race. It really revolutionized how we view drag performers on television. Right, it's right. giving drag queens back their sexuality and their off-screen life, and they're allowed to just be performers and, and Americans with hopes and dreams and, and families and lovers. And, you know, I mean... The drag queens we loved before, you had to pretend that you were, uh, you know, you had to stay in the closet or pretend you were married or you were dating whichever starlet or, you know, and all that hooey just uh, so that people would be comfortable with you. And so it's exciting now that drag queens can be whole people. Um, and, and, and so that's, I mean, you, you really have to look at the, the revolution or the revolution, as we call it, of RuPaul's Drag Race, where it gave drag queens their entire lives and put it on television. So hooray for them. Exactly. No, exactly. Is that a long enough answer to your question? (laughs) No, that was a perfect answer. Perfect. Okay, good. Uh, Now you've, you've even done drag yourself once for spooners that you're in. Does the book go into the transformation at all of some of these people? Because there are some amazing entertainers that put a lot of time, energy, and money into getting this entertainment made. Um, do you go into that part at all? And what was it like for you to actually do your one big drag performance? Was it fun for you? Uh, what was that like? It was very fun to do. I mean, I've done drag a, a few times. I mean, obviously, so many of us, if you're gay, you do it on Halloween. And I've so right, I've been right. sort of a, a hoochie mama with my big tummy sticking out and, you know, and a leopard print bikini, that kind of thing, uh, which was frightening. But um, when I was asked to do it for real, it was twice. I did, uh, I did a stage thing where I played Fatty Lapone. It was Patty's twin sister, <laughs> Fatty. And so I, P-H-A-T-T-I, Fatty Lapone. And uh, so that was fun. But uh, when I did it for a web series, I played a Jewish mama named Goldie, and she has a heart attack in a Zumba class and then goes to recuperate <laughs> with her son and his lover. And so I played Goldie. And she was fun because she basically, uh, she, I look like a far side lady from the far side cartoons, a little bit like uh, um, Andrea Martin's character, uh, Edith Prickley from SCTV. But uh, right, I right. was playing this Jewish mama. The only thing I can tell you is use press on nails. Do not do acrylic nails. They were the most horrible thing I've ever done <laughs> uh, because I had to get, 
when you you do the shoot and they break. I mean, I'm. It turns out I'm not the delicate flower I thought, and I was breaking my nails the moment <laughs> they put them on me. And you end up having to have them ground off of after the shoot. And I mean, it's oh terrifying. Then they have to kind of grow out for months, and and I don't know how women do it. But um, but that was the only downside. But it was very fun, and you can see me. Uh, I play a, a crazed Jewish mama who goes and insults uh, her son's lover, and is kind of an unpleasant house guest. And but I, it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. I no glamour whatsoever, but uh, but she looks cute in her little in her little jogging outfit and she's got a little nighty that she wears around the house it's kind of fun and i'm at my heaviest in it so it's kind of which is good for a drag queen you should it's great to be enormous and in a dress you know so there you have you're so spelt anymore we couldn't see you if you turned sideways my friend thank you well congratulations on all thank you and congratulations on all you've done you look fantastic as well um it's a constant struggle 260 now so i hear you it's 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 Wait, sure. you're down really that many fun. pounds, or two to to two to two? Are you at two sixty? You've lost two sixty. I was a big boy. Wow! Player, you were nothing on me. You were nothing on me. I top. I topped out <laughs> at three seventeen, and I'm in the 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 low twos now. So, uh, but it's still, which is still big, but you know, but there. it's not that big. So. Yeah, I'm in high but, twos. Uh, I was yeah. up there for a bit. So. It was a bad thing. Uh, you did an amazing job, and and it, but it's a, isn't it a I mean it's a constant struggle, but certainly one worth doing. And and uh, exactly, you know that I've had this summer cold since I got back from the RSVP cruise. The day I got back, I got a cold, and I haven't been able to work out. And you know, and you kind of miss it. I and I was someone who hated I, I hated getting out of a chair, let alone the idea that I missed right. you know jogging for forty minutes. It's crazy. <laughs> so uh, it is a I new know, life, and and it's exciting. It is definitely different and scary. Um, talk about what surprised you, or might you might have you forgotten about while you were doing some research? What what was a couple of things that stuck out to you you weren't expecting when doing the book? In the drag book, okay, so I'm the when I was doing drag coming through the big wigs of showbiz, I the thing that blew my mind most was there's a performer named Julian Eltinge who was is considered the kind of the grandfather or grandmother of modern drag in that he was okay. a stage performer, a film performer, he had his own magazine, he did public appearances. So he had his own Broadway theater named after him in get this 1912 107 no. years ago he was given his own broadway theater the julian eltinge theater and he was a drag performer so clearly there were drag things going on before drag race rolled into town and so it's kind of an amazing thing that you have this guy who was kind of the rupaul of the very early 20th century so i mean he was this multimedia person at a time when all of those mediums were new you know well the theater wasn't new but film was new you know and right. uh, and magazines you know in the in the sense of you know here's a lifestyle magazine fronted by a drag queen um you know so it's kind of amazing that that this was happening 107 years ago and you start to see you know all that performers went through some of whom are still performing today and aren't really that old but uh you know when you talk to um you know, there's a performer in Atlanta named Mr. Charlie Brown, and he talks about what it was like to perform. I think he was in West Virginia, if I recall, and he'd say the doorman would 
would yell to you, run, and they'd run from their car to the front door, and you'd hear beer bottles being pelted at the door once they slammed the door with them inside, and then they would get dressed in drag and do their show and then take it all off and put it in a garbage bag and and haul it back out so no one would know what was up. But, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. So, and, and it's fun because the book covers everybody from Darcel 15, who is, uh, you know, the old, the Guinness record holder for the oldest still performing drag performer in Portland. He's a Portland fixture. And also the book covers uh, someone like, uh, you know, some of these drag kids who are like 12 years old, you know, and it's right. is amazing. It's like 12 <laughs> or 13 years old. And the fiercest little creature you're ever going to meet, you know. And uh, so it's kind of when you go from like 88 or 89 to that down to 12 years old and they're all drag queens. It's kind of uh, it's kind of an amazing thing. So I love that. I actually uh, been to Darcell's. I lived in Portland for four years and that is a definitely a story up there. I, I know Darcell well, actually. That's pretty funny. Um, I have only met little- him at the, the premiere of wig that hbo documentary that just was on in june Uh, i met him at the tribeca film festival i had never met him before even though i'd interviewed him on the phone so it was uh you know it was an exciting thing to be able to uh you know to to do that uh to meet him in person because he's certainly someone who uh is is a legend and uh and keeps doing his thing god love him so there you go. We should all be still. We should all be putting on too much makeup at eighty nine. I'll tell you. I just would, you know. I hear that. Uh, well, let's do a little pop quiz for a second. I want to get your take on some of these queens that you admire, or or may have met along the line. Who would you say, um, in your opinion, is one of the most groundbreaking queens? The most ground in in a strange way, I think. I'm going to say Flip Wilson, who performed on television on it. He was the first African-American to, to have a hit variety show that ran for years. It was called, just called Flip. And he played a character named Geraldine Jones. Jones, yep. And she was so different than every other drag character on television because it was always, the history was always that uh, you get the hairiest, ugliest guy, put him in a dress, and a straight guy would fall in love with him. And that would be the shtick. And then here comes Geraldine, who's fashionable. She's wearing poochie print dresses. She can walk in her heels. She's sassy. She's got a boyfriend. It was totally flew in the face of every stereotype about what a drag character was supposed to be. So, so Flip Wilson, I think, is, is the one for me. I think is groundbreaking on television. Great answer. And who, in your opinion, is one of the most laugh-out-loud funny queens? Uh, Charles Pierce, I think, is about the funniest queen who ever, he was called the funniest man to ever put on a girdle. And he does, a, he, God rest his soul. He, he not only, he was on like Starsky and Hutch. He was on uh, the two-part Laverne and Shirley where it's murder on the Moose Jaw Express. He was on Designing right. Women and he played Joan Collins and uh, who was his other character? He played a couple of drag characters on, on Designing Women. But anyway, he used to do a bit where it was Betty Davis and Tallulah Bankhead reading each other to filth. And all he would do is adjust oh the goodness. wig and turn. And it was, it was amazing. It was one of the true 
illusions that was just genius. And they were so mean to each other. It was jokes like, you know, <laughs> darling, it's either moisturizer or wood filler, you know, and jokes like that. They were just read each other to film. And it was, a, it was a brilliant stage act. So Charles Pierce and kids need to find him. There are concerts of his on YouTube. There's hours of material. And it's so brilliant to watch him. Because he played places, you know, I mean, he played like the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. He was huge. You know, oh my so anyway, he's worth knowing. Right. Charles Pierce. Oh. I love that. And what is your opinion on the best queen of social commentary? Social commentary? I think, I have to say, I think Lady Bunny's politics are pretty amazing. I mean, she's out there, but I think she's certainly someone who needs to be uh, paid attention to. And she's not just a pig in a wig, as she likes to say, which is weird for someone named Lady Bunny, don't you think? But still, um, I, I think <laughs> that when she puts her uh, her pen to paper and writes about politics, she's, she's definitely worth paying attention to. I mean, she, she makes us... Uh, uh, think hard thoughts, as they say in uh, um, in in Wizard, the Wizard of Oz. You know, she she uh, is not afraid to to go to places that others might be a little scared of, and and I always admire. I and she's hilarious her. besides. So exactly, I love but, her. Uh, what about um, a queen for activism or LGBT education? Do you have one that uh, kind of makes that part of their shtick? Well, from what I understand, Nina West is doing a lot of that, and I need to learn more about yeah. her. I mean, I only know her from what I saw on, uh, you know, on Drag Race, but I'd heard of her before that, but didn't know very much. And and if there's anyone that I wish I could have gotten into the book, it would be Nina West. I think she's very uh, impressive, and I think she's one for the ages, the way Bianca Del Rio is too. You know, I mean, I I don't think they're someone who uh, we're going to hear about for two minutes and then they're going to fall off the radar. I think that they're going they're in it for the long haul. Because they're funny and yeah. talented and smart and, you know, so I think, and Bianca, I think, you know, Bianca is just out there and, and doing a lot for, uh, for drag and, and making people laugh at themselves. And I love right, that right. a lot. And honestly, I think RuPaul certainly is a, is an icon to many and not just drag queens. I mean, I think Ru tells us to love ourselves and, and feel good about being LGBTQ plus every other letter you can think of people and uh, you know, and, and to feel good about ourselves. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much in RuPaul's camp. I, I, I am a, a big, big fan of, of all that she does. And, and I loved her sitcom or excuse me, her talk show. And I can't wait to see yeah. her sitcom, but I, oh. I loved her talk show. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I uh, people want to, you know, people want to, anytime a queen, a gay person is successful, there, there are detractors, but I, I am not one of them. I, I am a big, big fan of, of what Rue has given to the culture, and, and you know, our mothers love Rue. We're both someone our mothers can get behind. You know, I mean, it's there you it's go, pretty amazing. So, I'm with you, brother. There. Well, let's finish up with that. <laughs> Who do you think is probably one of the most underrated RuPaul winners, in your opinion? Underrated RuPaul winners. Let's. You know, let's say Pandora Box. I think Pandora Box is pretty splendid, and and uh, um, and I like. I think she's funny and smart, and her heart's in the right place. I, I like Pandora Box a lot. I was gonna say. I also have to say though. You know, I think it's really underrated the drag queens who aren't on RuPaul's Drag Race, and I think you got to support your local drag queen. And I think Good that answer. don't assume that because they haven't been on Drag Race that they're not worthy of your attention. The greatest drag queens working in Los Angeles today, not a one of them 
has been on Drag Race, you know, as a contestant at least. You know, I mean, find the Jackie Beat in your hometown. Find the, the Chico's Angels in your hometown. Find the Miss Coco Peru of whatever town you're in. Throw, tip them, support them, talk about them, go see them, uh, you know, encourage them. And, and really, you know, there, there are a lot of people, there are people who, you know, I mean, Aggie Dune has never been on, and she's the, you know, the queen of Rochester, and she's never been on, so got to pay attention to her. Um, you know, so I think that that's really the answer is uh, support your local drag queen. Good answer. I love that. Very well said. Well, you talked about it in the beginning a little bit. Let's go ahead and jump in a little more. Let's talk about this book tour. I mean, you were at DragCon, RuPaul's DragCon. Speaking of RuPaul, you've been all over the place. You had a stellar lineup there. You had Leslie Jordan with you and a couple other guests. Talk about um, meeting the fans of this book and what it's been like to tour with such a successful book. Well, the people have been very eager to be a part of these panels that I've been doing. I, in Chicago, when I started, I did the Chicago legend Chili Pepper and then Lucy Stool, who is hot, hot, hot right now as a burlesque performer. And uh, then there was a young trans performer as well who was 19 years old, Angelica Grace. And, it's you know, so she was there. So that was Chicago. Then when I did DragCon, it was James St. James, one of the original club kids, Leslie Jordan, Miss Coco Peru, and Drew Drogi, who is the Chloe Sevigny impersonator deluxe and a brilliant playwright and actor. So he did it. Um, then, you know, I did when I did it in New York, it was Lipsinka and a young performer named Obscura, who's uh, amazing, and Brini Maxwell, who was really a pioneer of, of making the leap from a cable access show to uh, a cable channel. She was, she was on the Style Network back in the 90s. And so she was amazing. Um, we've, we've had astounding people everywhere that I've gone. Here in L.A., it was Reba Ariba and Bruce Valanche and Alaska Thunder 5000. So that was amazing. Um, everywhere we've been able to, to get people to, to be on these panels. Pandora Box and I did a panel in Santa Monica. And we're putting together a panel now because I'm going to be at DragCon in New York City uh, in the beginning of September. So I'm thrilled, really, about that as well. So, so it continues. And then Amazing. when I was on board uh, the RSVP cruise, I did a panel with Jackie Beat and Dixie Longgate, who are a- absolutely as funny as any drag queen you're ever going to see, and so quick. And that went like gangbusters. So people really do want to talk about it. And, and a lot of these performers, if they haven't been on Drag Race, they, they haven't uh, been heard from really all that much talking about right. uh, the art form. And so th- it was fun to be able to, to uh, do that. And then, I, you know, by, by my being able to shine a, a light on them and letting them do their thing, I end up looking good. But honestly, it's that, the only credit I get is for being able to assemble the talent. It's not, you know, I don't, I don't even have to have the talent. I just have to. You know, I have to ringlead and, and, and shine a light and, and keep the conversation going. But I'm blessed that I know so many ridiculously talented people and that they're willing to share their time. I mean, to, to be able to get in drag, you know, um, it's a lot to say, you know, Jackie B right. put on full drag and come and talk to me, you know, but she did it. And, and, uh, and so, so did the others. And, um, and what's great is in or out of drag, they're hilariously funny. I mean, Lipsinka 
showed up as John Epperson, her creator, rather than in drag, and, and enthralled the audience. You don't really need the dress and, and the eyebrows that are arched to the heavens, you know. Um, you right. can have a guy sitting there and, and, and dazzle you just as much. And So it was great to, to have people in and out of drag and uh, all talking about the same thing. And So... Yeah, that, it's it's been fun to do that, and I, and I have to say, I mean, I'm a really good interviewer, so it it's but but it, you're only as good as your guests, and and I've got the best guests, so I'm I'm lucky, and and it's fun. So, hooray for them! Well, I'm here to both and, you uh, have, and I'm patting myself on the back. I am a really good interviewer, so I know how to keep it going, and um and you know that's that I'll take credit for that, but really it's their talent that makes me look good. So, and and the same well, with the book, you know, I mean it's. It's their talent that I've managed to put in a in a in a in a beautiful frame. Let's put it that way. So. Well, if you wouldn't brag on yourself, my friend, I would. I mean, I've been a fan. The the uh, your show on Out Q Series shows you what talent you had, the, the caliber of people you had going through, and the way you could get people to open up and talk. You are uh, you've been an inspiration to me in so many ways. So I definitely appreciate that. Talk about what's next for I'm sure we have an audio book coming out and a couple of things. Uh, what's the next step in the process here? Well, not only is there an audio book of drag coming to the big leagues of show business, but here's a scoop because no one knows this yet, really. The heat that the book has generated has made it so that my first book, A Boy Named Phyllis, a suburban memoir, has been sold to Audible, and I'm going to narrate it for the first time. So it will no longer be out of print it will be at least available as an audio book. So for the first time after 23 years, my groundbreaking queer memoir, which it really was um, from 1996 is going to be given the audio book treatment and I'm going to read it myself. And I couldn't be happier. I, I, I'm, and you're the first person I'm saying that to in the press. So uh, congratulations. Anyway, I wish I so, had sound uh, yeah, effects. Very that excited. is amazing. Yay! Hooray! There, that's my that's friend. the drag. That's I'm the sound so happy for yeah, you. Um, well deserved. That may well be the greatest gift of this whole process is uh, that this little book that that honestly was very well received, but not enough people know about um, many years ago because it kind of was a little early and and it flew in the face of what was coming out then because it was this happy little gay memoir um, at a time when you know, it was the, the, such a tough time in our lives because of the AIDS crisis and so many other things. Right. To have this happy little memoir, it kind of uh, fell through the cracks in a lot of ways. Although Vanity Fair loved it, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, the advocate raved about it and said it opened the door for David Sedaris. So, I mean, it was, you well, know, that was I thought it was our first interview loved, we had together talking about, about that it. book. I loved every, every chapter of it. That was our first interview when I had you on a couple years ago. A long back time ago now. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it was twenty three years ago. And it got my yeah. it got me a husband. So you know what? It changed my life. I, I met my husband Jim Colucci, who wrote the Golden Girls Forever book. He uh and has been on your show. He uh and I met because of that book. Um so we grew up in towns next to each other and he read it and we found each other and, and uh and so we've been thick of thieves for twenty three years now. So Pretty well, let's great. finish up with that because uh, you are, of course, Jim's arm candy, and you guys are a fantastic <laughs> couple. We've talked about that before. You guys are just so amazing to each other, and he is such a great writer in and of himself and does so many great things in entertainment. You guys get to go to every Paley Fest, 
upfront things like that. What's from put on your entertainment reporter hat for a second. What do we need to be looking forward to here pretty soon? Have you had a chance to go to any things with them this year? Or you've been too busy on your own. Okay. Yesterday, I was Jim's date for an event to promote a, a new ABC show that's only had six airings so far, but it's in the second season now called Bless This Mess, new sitcom. And I rode a horse past the Hollywood sign, and then I sat next to Pam Greer at dinner. Okay. I sat next to Friday Foster and Coffee and, you know, every other black exploitation, brilliant female, fierce woman icon at dinner. Oh I was like, and I God. sat there going, I am sitting next to Pam Greer at dinner. And, and I don't mean at the next table. I was next to her at dinner at the same table. Oh and I was goodness. sitting there thinking, nobody has more fun than I do. I mean, I really... Honestly, I, I pinch myself several There are at least three or four times a week where I get to do something that I cannot believe I get to do. And that was one of them. I, I met James Kahn the other night. I mean, it's like I met Sonny Corleone the other night. It's like, wow. Dude, straight men are, I am the envy of every straight man I know. I have a picture with <laughs> James Kahn. Okay. I mean, that's, that is like straight guys would give their eye teeth for that. And I couldn't help but rub it in. I said to all the straight men in my life who were jealous that I got a picture with James Conn, I've also been to the Playboy Mansion twice. So I was like, eh, you know, so sometimes it pays to be the gay. So it was, uh, you know, with the connection. So anyway, but it was, it was pretty funny. So, but no, but I, I really am the luckiest SOB in the planet. I, I do, I'm living my best life and, and, uh, and it's fun. And, and it's not lost on me. I want to say, nor is it on Jim Colucci. We are. We feel very fortunate to have the lives that we do, and nobody. We look at each other, and he said, Jim always says to me at least three times a week. He looks at me and says, "Who has more fun than we do?" And I was like, "I don't know. If, if there are people having more fun than us, I don't know who they are." You know. So uh, it, it's. If I mean, yes, yes, I'm guessing there are people who are on a on a yacht somewhere, or, you know, or spending, <laughs> you know, where are you? Oh, we're we're in the south of France also. Maybe they're having more fun, but probably not. You know, I mean, they probably are complaining about whatever, uh, wherever they are. But, uh, you know, we're, we're very, very lucky. And, and, uh, and, and we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to be good, loud gays and stand up for what's right and, 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 you know, fly our freak flag beautifully and tell people to like themselves and, and all that good stuff and, and kind of just be, uh, I don't want to say we're gay role models. We're certainly not trying to be role models, but I just hope that that if there's a little kid out there and he's listening to my voice, it's like, dude, hang in there. It's the best thing ever. It's like membership has its privileges. It's so much better to be a gay. It is so fun. I'm a gay supremacist. It is way more fun to be a gay <laughs> than anything else. So just hang in there. And if you're not happy where you are, go find your tribe somewhere else because we're out there. And we're fun, and, and it, you know, it's, when your mother says, you know, why do they hate the gays? Oh, they're just jealous. They are jealous because we have way more fun. It, it is really a go. fun life if you're lucky. So, uh, and, well, read, friend, and read a book, Mary. That's the other thing. Not just mine. Read gay stuff. Read straight stuff. But read and be smart. And, you know, that's, that's my go. message to the kids. Oh. I love it. Well, you are my role model, Frank DeCaro, and I always say luck is where – 
talent and hard work meet, and you are full of it in spades, you and Jim both. Thanks so much for being back on the Left of Straight Show. Where can everyone follow you on social media so they can find out all these fun places you're going to be or where you've been? I was going to say, I'm full of it all right, definitely. You can definitely say that. <laughs> you can follow me on you could follow me on social media everywhere at Frank DeCaro Show. And there's actually a page for drag coming through the big wigs of show business on Facebook. You can join that. And that's got all the dates of where I'm going to be. Thursday, I'll be at the Motion Picture, uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences doing a, a panel there, which I'm excited about. And uh, with Alonzo Duralde, a wonderful uh, LGBTQ film critic and programmer for Outfest. And so I'll be talking to him and, you know, it's uh, it's be fun, and then and then I'm going to be in Las Vegas in October. It's just hasn't been announced yet, but that's coming. And uh, so, and I'll be at FragCon in New York in September, and so all sorts of good stuff. And and we're going to keep uh, banging the drum about this drag book and and getting it out there and stuff. So anyway, but thank you so much for always being in my corner, Scott. You really are, and and I appreciate it. You've always been a a real champion of all, everything I've, I've tried to do, and, and I appreciate it a lot. Well, I appreciate you, my friend. You are a true inspiration to me. Thanks so much for being on the show. Stay on the line for me. I'm going to help you butch it up a little bit. We'll play a little country song going out. This is Matt Van Fossen. Time ain't what it used to be. We'll be back to introduce our next guest in just a couple minutes. You're listening to the Left and Straight Show right here on the Left and Straight Radio Network.
righty, and we are back. Guys and gals, my next guest is introduced to me by our mutual friend, Jason Caceres, and I'm so happy to have him on the show today. He's a bon vivant man about town who has lived even more places than I have, which I never thought was possible. But he's lived in some awesome places, opposed to Holyoke, Massachusetts, where I've been banished to. He's also a singer and an author whose two books offer some great slices of life adventures from his own life. We're both traveling today, so I really appreciate him taking the time to call in. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Kellen. Kellen, how you doing, buddy? I'm excellent. Thank you so much. I love the introduction. I feel so important now. Thank you. Well, you are so important. I'm so glad. There's not many <laughs> one-name people I've had on my show. You're one of the few. Ellen and Cher aren't returning my calls, so I'm excited to well, have a Kellen. Ma- Madonna's on speed dial, so just let me know, and I'll pull some to Kylie oh, and Madonna, you, you know, pull some strings. <laughs> I Thank you like so much it. for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited. Uh, our good friend Jason kind of introduced us there. How do you know Jace? You know what? Jason and his fiance Christian, and I all played on a queer kickball league here uh, in Los Angeles, and we met gotcha. playing Sunday kickball. And then we were on opposing teams, had such a blast together, and our teams were the new teams, and so we kind of just had a little bond. And, yeah, we – I ended up joining their team the next summer, and we've been friends ever since for a few years now. So, Very cool. I love it. Well, he, him and uh, Christian have been great friends of mine in the show, and so I'm so glad they introduced us. Now, we're both traveling today. You're back in the state that birthed you over there. Am I correct? How's everything in beautiful downtown <laughs> Missouri today? <laughs> you know, it is raining cats and dogs, and I kind of love it. I mean, living in L.A., we don't get weather. You know, it's just beautiful and sunny 300-plus days of the year, so I kind of am enjoying it. I'm originally from St. Louis, so it's nice to go back to my roots and go back to my uh, hometown every now and then and see my friends. I'm here seeing my best friend, Arianne, for her graduation, so, yeah, it's fantastic. And the And you're in Palm Springs? I'm in Palm Springs, which is gorgeous, and I don't want to ruin our friendship already, but you're a liar. Every time I've gone to L.A., it's been cold and ugly since I've been here, but uh, it's never supposed to be that way. How dare you, sir? (laughs) It's been ugly Well, we have not had a summer yet, that's for sure, and I'm sorry. You know what? Everywhere I go, I bring the sunshine, so you must not have brought me uh, when when you've come to L.A. I'll show you L.A. sun. Come visit All right. Well, next year we'll bring you out to Palm Springs, and I'll come haunt you over there in uh, L.A. as well, because I have had some great, great time there. Um, all right. So Sounds let's jump awesome. into a little bit. Um, I've teased a little bit about living in some strange and wonderful places, and we'll talk about them in a bit. But since you are in your home state, tell me a little bit about where you grew up. What kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be oh when you grew up? <laughs> Oh, wow. Dig it deep. Um, you know, I I was born and raised in St. Louis, and my parents got divorced, so I kind of grew up halfway between St. Louis and then a small town on the western side of the state. Um, very conservative. Uh, my parents are, are pretty open-minded and liberal, but, I mean, I, I grew up kind of a more conservative community, 
And um, I don't know, I guess I was kind of a theater kid. I started doing, like, community theater when I was six, and I've done probably over 40 or 50 productions now at this ripe old age of 37. Um, But I kind of, that was kind of my passion when I was growing up and um, was theater and performing and musicals and things like that. But I had a sixth grade English teacher who was Mrs. Hunter, who was like the most inspiring teacher that a lot of us ever had, who really pushed me to write and kind of channel my creativity into my writing. So while I do do love performing still every now and then, I still sing in um, a community chorus in Los Angeles and do things with that every now and then. Um, I kind of learned to not redirect my energy, but I really found my passion in creative writing. And I mean, I had a, I was, I had a poem published when I was 12 years old um, through my teacher and I've been casually writing ever since and only really, really started being, you know, putting all my energy into writing and being an author about eight or nine years ago. So that's kind of a little bit of my backstory and correlation with my book. But yeah, I mean, I was a little hellion. I was a middle child. And two weeks after high school, I fled Missouri, moved to California, never looked back. So I'd never even been to California. I just knew I wanted out of Missouri. I, you know, (laughs) the Midwest is great, but I was a little fish in a big pond out here and just yeah, I, I knew Los Angeles was the entertainment capital of the world, and I moved out there. And, you know, gee, now off and on, it's probably almost been almost 20 years since I've lived out here or lived in California. So that's kind of Fantastic. that's me. I'm the opposite <laughs> way. I was born and raised in California for 29 years, and I've been banished to Northeast Ohio for 17 now. It's been horrible. <laughs> it's been horrible. Well, is it self or was it, it was. It was kind or? of self-imposed okay. banishment at first, but then I got sucked into the black hole that is the Midwest. You know how that goes sometimes. <laughs> you know, the your quality of life is better in so many ways. I mean, you can buy a house You're at right. a reasonable price, and, and property taxes exactly. are low, and, and goods and services. I mean, I come to Missouri, I order a cocktail at the bar, and they say $2.70. I feel like I'm in a foreign country. You know, like, I know, isn't I feel it? Wild? Like I'm, I, <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, and you alluded to. Oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, you alluded earlier to, um, you know, both of the insane, uh, crazy places we've lived, you know, all over. What um, kind of got me, and I always loved to travel. When, we would, when I was a little kid, my family would take us on road trips all over the country. And so as a result, I've been to 47 U.S. states. I haven't been to Alaska, Minnesota, Wisconsin. But uh, I knew that in like 2009, I was going to like taking classes at Santa Monica College in L.A. And they had a study abroad opportunity to go study in London and Paris for a summer. And I did that with a great crazy group of like 27 of us. We all, you know, studied abroad over in London and Paris. Our teacher over there made us keep a daily journal, and I was the one who actually adhered to that and chronicled every crazy thing we did. We conquered Paris. We conquered London, and I documented everything, the craziness, the fighting, the, the love, the romances, like everything that went on that summer. And when I had completed that journal, 
I looked at that and I was like, wait a minute. I have lots of these, like, funny anecdotal stories from my life. Maybe I should put right. a collection of stories together and create my first book. And so I love so that. I, I, We're going to go into that in a bit because I love these stories <laughs> and they are genuine slices of life. Um, and now this is playing in July because I'm now driving back to Ohio from my big gay road trip here to LA. They're recording it in June. <laughs> so I want to talk to you. I've been talking to all my guests while I've been out here. Tell me about how did you first come out to yourself and what does pride mean oh, to pride you? Oh, finished pride month. Yes. You know, I was, you, I'm, I'm going back and forth, but, you know, you asked about my upbringing. I was raised uh, very hardcore Lutheran when I was a younger kid. And we were taught, you know, repeatedly the sins of homosexuality and you're going to hell. And Lutheran is Catholic misspelled. So it's very pomp and circumstance and very <laughs> strict, uh, very strict um scriptures and things like that that they abide by and then they don't abide by the others and whatnot. I would say I realized I was gay maybe even when I was 10 or 12. I mean, the neighborhood kids who were older than us were doing like sexual things with us uh, at a much younger age than that. That was homosexual behavior. So, I mean, I would say I really came out to myself, though, and kind of began to accept it when I was 16. And that, like, kind of spun me into such a crazy, deep depression that I just kind of knew I had to move to, like, a gay metropolis like San Francisco or L.A. or New York to kind of be um, amongst my people. And I didn't even really come out to my family for another probably two or three years. I mean, I, I graduated late. I graduated high school at 19. And I think I came out to my mom at 19. I was in a, I was auditioning for the musical Cabaret, and there's a scene where two men kiss, and I was the one who actually did the kiss at the audition with this other guy and did not get the part, by the way. I want to say that. I committed and then did not get the part. But I called my mom that night and told her that, you know, what I, that I made out with the guy in the audition. And she was like, oh, good for you. Hopefully that helps you score the part. And so, and her, my mom's best friend is gay and whatnot. Um, and I didn't come out to my father for another five years. And I legally changed my name. I kind of dropped my father's last name. And my dad was more mad at me. My dad was, my dad, or not mad, but my dad was more concerned. I was like, dad, I'm gay. And I changed my name. And my dad was like, wait, you changed your name? It was one of those responses. So, I mean, fortunately for me, I've always been the black sheep of the family. It was kind of like, oh, well, now that makes sense. Like, as soon as I came out, everyone was like, oh, well, duh. Like, A, we knew long before you did, but B, now everything is starting to add up. So, for me, um, my coming out was, you know, was pretty super easy. And my... um, you know, I think what pride means to me is the the sense of self-worth and the sense of worth in the community. I'm proud for the, you know, the millions of contributions that the queer community has contributed in world history altogether, you know, from Abe Lincoln to Alexander the Great to, you know, multiple, multiple people, uh, Gertrude Stein, I'm just randomly thinking names in the past of, 
potentially queer people or people who, who strayed from the grain. And Pride to right. me is a time of year that we get to celebrate the fact that we do, we are alive. We, we do get to say we're here, we're queer, and we're not going anywhere. So, I mean, that, is, that to me is pride, the ability, and, and at least our country and lots of countries around the world, to say, this is us. This is, you know, not to quote Greatest Showman, but this is me, you know. We're not, right. This is me. This is who I am. Just because I love somebody of the same sex doesn't mean that I'm any less valid of a person or less worthy of a human being. So pride exactly. to me is just the love that we have as a community, you know, and the and the ability to yeah. celebrate openly. So fantastic. Good question. I like that one. I want to go back to your singing a little bit because um, I I love to sing. I was part of the concert choir in school and the same. You've been in some great gay men's nice. courses. You have a great story about uh, uh, about a random hookup. I swear I'm not 70 years old. But uh, talk about your singing experience, <laughs> what kind of dream to that, and you said you still do it a bit? You know, um, yeah. We would sing in, you know, with, with my church, you know, growing up. I probably left, quote, unquote, left the church, like, around the time my grandmother died when she was, when I was 12. Um, she was kind of the matriarch of my family and the one really kind of, pushing us to go to church. And so when she passed away, it was kind of one of those things that I just really stopped going, but I kept singing. And I, I think it was in grade school. I was in this um, casting this musical called the mice from outer space and sang in that. And it was kind of something that I stumbled into that I liked doing, you know, singing in groups and kept doing all throughout, uh, you know, junior high and high school and I went on to be I was in the Missouri All-State Choir and the District Choir and you know did uh, competition and everything like that and then I was in the show choir at my high school and then in college um, I was in like the jazz ensemble and as you said uh, jazz ensemble concert choir Um, I have done a few tours with some of these groups to like San Francisco and in the California area and I like you said, I did sing in the gay men's chorus for a while and got out before all the rampant drama is now encircling that group. Uh, right. And I sing in the I sing with the <laughs> I sing with the West Coast singers now. That's uh, that's the other LA uh, queer community chorus, which is really great. Exactly. It's a casual group. They they're one of the oldest queer choruses in the country. A lot of people in the group are straight allies, so that's there's a lot of. Um, just everybody from all walks of life. We have transgender people. We have uh, a New Zealand woman. You know, every not that the not the uh, Kiwi is so obtuse, but yes, I mean every it's it's a great experience. And I think what I love about singing is that like music just knocks down parameters. You don't have to be music can just bring everybody together. And that's what I've always right. loved about music, just the community feel of of being able to sing with the group and how much people music can just break down barriers and, and, and just connect people. You might not have anything in common with somebody, but that Elvis song comes on or that Kylie Minogue song comes on and you, you have a sudden bond with that person. And I just have always right, loved right. that connection that music brings people together with. So, I mean, I love writing and uh, writing is my passion and writing is my life. 
but I will always love music, and music is right up there. It's so super important to me. So, and I kind of feel—I kind of feel off when I'm not singing. So I like just singing, you know, all the time. If if we all sang and danced more as people, the world would be a better place, in my opinion. Let's put it that way. I agree. (laughs) Well said. All right, well, let's talk about these books in your writing. First, thank you for sending them my way. There are a couple of great reads. Your first book thank was you. Dancing in My Underwear, and I love the subtitle that's in Audacious <laughs> Anthology. And the following <laughs> yes. sequel, Volume 2, T-O-O. Volume two. Talk about your writing. Now, you said you journaled. Well, that was, were you always a writer, though? Did you write as a kid? Or talk about your love affair um, with writing. I- I remember writing, like, I wrote a mini book when I was in seventh grade, so I would have been, like, 10 or 11 years old, and I would write scenes. My parents got me a typewriter, and I would write scenes out that didn't always, like, scenes that I would act out, you know, in front of them or just in front of the mirror. Um, And then I said earlier, I, I had this English teacher who really inspired me to start just inspired all of us to just kind of create. And then from there, um, I really kind of took a break from thinking that I could be like a creative writer and author until, as I said, about 2009, after I'd studied abroad, I had this whole complete journal of these, just the, and when we studied abroad, we weren't like, we were all college age. So we didn't have to answer to teachers and when, and a total curriculum. And so we just ran wild through the streets of Paris and London for a summer. And I documented everything. And when I had had that journal, I looked at it and I was like, oh, well, I have a crazy birth story too. Oh, well, you know, I have, I was in 14 car accidents in my life. So that's a crazy story. And then I just started realizing that I had all these either family stories or stories from my own personal life. It might seem a little narcissistic for a 30-year-old to put out an autobiography, but that's, that was dancing in my underwear. That is dancing in my underwear. My 16, I was, uh, April 16th is my birthday. 16 is my lucky number. So originally dancing in my underwear was called 16 because of the short teens, uh, 16 short stories. I was going with like an right. Adele uh, an Adele <laughs> album, I like it. album I like theme, it. and and but I settled. I didn't settle. I decided dancing in my underwear was a more appropriate fit. Um, the title kind of stems from everybody in their living room. How I spoke about music and and dancing. How if we all did that, life would be better. Everybody has at least once in their life danced in their underwear in their living room to music. That's just a there universal thing that I think all of us have done. And for me, it's kind of the way I lead my life with that, not, I wouldn't necessarily say carefree, but I've had, you know, we've all had our ups and downs and negativity, but I've had my fair share. And so I choose to kind of embrace life and lead with the same joy and perseverance and effervescence as I do when I'm in my living room dancing in my underwear. So that's my, <laughs> my collection of my short stories. And the first one released Did you in 2014, have- um, like I said, both yeah. amazing stories. Uh, the book, both books are dedicated primarily to your mom and to others. And we definitely, mm-hmm. like you said, 
learn in the first book that she deserves the recognition. You had your fair share of foibles there when you were younger, and those 14 car uh, experiences were something else. Talk about your mom. Right. I'm very close with my mother. Talk about uh, the dedication of the book to her. What does she think about this? Um, my whole family kind of LOLs at my writing career because I am so explicit. I mean, I have uh, pretty explicit gay sex interludes in my book. I, ha- I have the F word in my first sentence and my first chapter of my book. So my mom, I think, <laughs> is really proud of me, but, but also kind of does a little LOLing. I mean, then, and, and also I, I work my mom like a sweatshop. My mom is one of my editors for my book. So before anybody oh, nice. sees anything, including editors, I send it off to my mother. Well, you say nice, but when I talk about things like water sports or other gay, <laughs> gay moments, it's like, that's my mother reading that or like talking about a penis or, you know, whatever. It's like, but my, the great thing is my mother is so cool that she can handle things like that. And she's like, oh, it's just sex. And you all don't do anything different than straight people do and whatever. And my mom, um, you know, we are very like and very opposite, but she has been, you know, a constant feature in my life and has been um, somebody that I can, you know, turn to and have a good relationship with. And so, I dedicated my books to my mom mostly because she has been the one constant in my life that hasn't strayed, no matter how much we fought uh, when I was a teenager or how much we politically disagree nowadays. Um, she's still my mom, and she still loves me unconditionally and has been there and supported me. And I have, like you mentioned, I have my story getting to the Parthenon on time where we were on a trip specifically just to see the Parthenon. And because I was such a slacker idiot hooking up with some haughty Grecian God, I missed (laughs) seeing the Parthenon with my mom and she was still cool about it. And that is, that's probably my favorite story in dancing in my underwear because it really illustrates like this, the total selfish, I'll admit it, selfish, uh, shenanigans I can get into while on a trip. And then my mom kind of rolling her eyes and being like, oh, that's him. He's living his life and accepting <laughs> of me. So it's just a level of acceptance that I have with my mom that we just have that really good rapport with one another. And so, yeah, she's, she and Kylie Minogue are my heroes and my grandmother who passed, of course. But they are my heroes and my the I feel blessed that I've had that I was raised by a, by a strong single mother because it really showed me that you can be an underdog but still be successful. You can rise above things even if you're doing it on your own. And that's my mom. So, yeah, I love her, and I am blessed that I've got such a cool mom that I can send, uh, you know, I can send her my stories about rimming some guy or doing something with gay sex. And she doesn't, you know, it's just one of those things that she's like, okay, well, there was a comma missing here. <laughs> so. Right. Right. That's too funny. I love that. And you do have some amazing stuff. I mean, it starts off with your birth goes all the way in book two into what you're dealing with today. I think there's some amazing stories in there. Um, I definitely, like I said, I've, I've got to hop around. I think I've read probably about 12 of them between both. Oh, books. nice. Okay, go ahead. And, um, and I that's, definitely and... don't have enough turns 
for you to drive my car. So I'll do all the driving when we meet <laughs> next time in L.A. You and cars have not Indeed. had a good relationship either inside or outside no. of them. Um, no, I've either been hit, I've, Exactly. I, <laughs> I was, yeah, I've just been in a lot of crazy, very near-death uh, circumstances. So, and live to tell the tale. And like I said, your travels are amazing. I love it from going to Australia with boyfriends to Barcelona with your mom to the D.C. March. Talk about this traveling and what travel means to you now. Is it still as exciting as it's always been, or has it become more of a chore oh. now? Talk about travel. You know, to you I, live, places you've I been. live to travel. I, you know, I'm a single gay man in my 30s. I don't have you know, uh, a family or a mortgage I'm paying off. And so, yeah, I, I love to travel. I try and I, I love Los Angeles, but I feel the need to kind of leave Los Angeles to really appreciate her. And right. so I try and travel as much as I can. And for the last three or four years, I've really tried to go back to Europe uh, during the summer. I just love, I, I, after London and Paris, I just fell in love with, Europe and the European mentality and their concept of time and their incredible nightlife and food and uh, communal uh, society and community. I just really kind of fell in love with, especially Spain. I really, really like Spain. And traveling is, is, I just love it. I mean, I think it's one of the best educations that anybody could have is spending time abroad, especially Americans. Americans have got to leave the United States to realize, yes, we are one of the better countries. We are not the greatest country, and we have a lot to learn from the rest of the world. We're, I am blessed and proud to be an American and grateful as hell. I was born here, and I am an American citizen, but we as Americans have a lot to learn about the rest of the world. And traveling right. has really helped open my eyes and let me see the world around us. And I'm so, I'm just really grateful that I've been afforded the opportunity and that I am a writer and I can write from anywhere. So I'm able to still travel and work and be able to support myself while I'm traveling. So right. I've been to That's 25 fantastic. countries now. I've been to 25 countries now and um, am looking – my grandfather went to all seven continents, including Antarctica, and so that's kind of a goal of mine is to – I've been to Australia. I've not done South America, Asia, or Africa, and, of course, not Antarctica. But that is the goal is to try and go to over 100 countries and see as much of the world as I possibly can because you just never know when you right. are going to go, you know, I mean, exactly. I in that. my life, I have, in my life, I have lost more than 30 people, three zero people who have died and I'm 37 years old. And the lesson that that teaches me is that life is so precious. You know, if you want to do something, go do it. If you want to be something, be it. I mean, I wasn't an author before I published my book and now I am. And now I'm a, twice over. And I have short stories and articles published and everything. If you want something in this world, go do it. Because tomorrow you might not be afforded that chance to go do it. And I love that. that and also one of, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite stories in your book 
is about your grandmother Mariana. Um, and oh, yeah. I like the, the like the kind of moral behind it is how we have perceptions of someone, but when we really look, we can see more to the picture. That was an amazing story. So you talk about Thank the you. And, and you lost that early. Yeah, you lost I, her very early, but you, your perception has changed now. Talk about that a second. Well, and I say in that story, you never know someone until you walk a kilometer in their stilettos. You never know somebody until – we, we may not ever truly, totally know another person and what their motives were and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, my grandmother was a, was a black sheep herself. And I just – we had – my grandmother died of lung cancer when I was two and a half years old. And our family had always kind of blamed her and said, oh, this is a residual result of smoking and, and whatnot. And then diving deep into her life, it turns out she visited Hiroshima and Nagasaki six months after we dropped the nuclear bombs on there. And she lived in Japan for three years after all of that went on. And she had this incredible, amazing life, often as a, you know, in the 50s, uh, doing all kinds of crazy things. Tom Watson was a very was a famous professional golfer, and he was my grandmother's caddy at one point. And you know, right. she just lived. Everyone get you know has incredible stories, and I think that it was important to me to share my grandmother's story in correlation with my life in my first book because I really wanted to kind of almost even make the comparison that I drew a lot of inspiration from my mother's mother as being this kind of. Uh, bucking the system independent black sheep of a woman so right, right. i love no, that was a great story i love that um Thank second you. book a lot more revealing about yourself i love uh i love new year's revolution just because of the market time <laughs> i kind of i'm such a white bread kind of guy here that my big goal was for palm springs was to either get myself a small tattoo or try an edible. And so I went with the edible because I'm still too chicken. Even an S would not work for me. But I like that you, you marked time like that, and that was a fun story for me. I really enjoyed that. We bonded you. over that. You know, that was um, – I was leaving California. I got a wild hair at my ass that life would be so much better in New York City if I would just sell my car and move to New York. So that's what I did, and it was the day before – flying to New York to start this whole new life for myself, I met up with my best friends in St. Louis and went out for the night. And the night obviously ended up working in our favor. And I loved, that was the, that was New Year's Eve 2003 to put an exact date and timestamp on that. And, you know, since then I've, I've moved from New York to Sydney with my partner and then I moved back to Missouri to help with my ailing grandfather, and then back to Los Angeles in 2006. So that has brought me full circle back to where I'm at. But I'm, I love that you love that story. Well, I think you can also empathize because it takes place in St. Louis. So you're a Midwestern right. boy. I'm a Midwestern boy. And, you know. There you go. You can empathize and with then, that. Um, I love the story on the shoes, gave a great insight to you personally. I think you really opened up a lot about that and was able to use that allegory to really kind of uh, make everyone know you a little bit. And to, I think we can all relate to that, too. A lot of us have had those kind of struggles growing up, and I thought that was just an amazing piece of insight from you. Thank you. I mean, 
I had a really messed up dichotomy growing up because my father had a lot of money and was very wealthy and had one of the old mansions here in St. Louis. And then my mother and my siblings and I were like, we'd, we're, we would never go see the doctor because we didn't have the money to go see the doctor. And we would never go do this because we didn't have the money to go do that. And so I remember shoes as like a way that I tried to keep up with the Benjamins in my class and try and, pretend that I also had money and the resources to be able to buy Doc Martens and, you know, nice tartar jackets and whatever we were into in the late 90s. Right. And it was, my shoes were something that I thought, I still love shoes. I won't pay what I paid for back then for them, but I still have probably <laughs> 80 some odd pair, 80 some odd pairs of shoes and frequently wear different ones. And, you know, what's a sick twist of fate is I now have really bad arches, and I have to wear arch supports, so I almost have to change my shoes repeatedly through the day just so I don't have uh, my feet hurt anymore. So it's kind of a sick twist of fate that now I almost need to have to wear multiple pairs of shoes. Well, there you go. You can always go to the throwback of all of us gays and have 18,000 pairs of underwear, too. We could do that. So we between shoes and I underwear. I already have those. I have a Oh, I have an underwear fetish, sir. Oh, yes. I mean, this isn't in my book, but I wrote a funny story about uh, recently I went to the laundromat and I, I uh, left my clothes in the washer, came back, and they were gone. And I was like, oh, God, this is what I get for just leaving them and coming back hours later. There was the, head of, there was the laundromat uh, manager folding my jock straps. And my phone, oh my god! Oh my, he he, oh he dried all my clothes and was sitting there dry, folding my like sexy gay underwear. <laughs> so who knows if maybe that story will go in a in a future book? But little limerick things like that happen to me all the time that are just hilarious um, ex- exchanges of life, and that's partly for some reason I'm one of those people that these things constantly happen to, and so they're just funny moments in life that almost need to be documented. And that's kind of the, the concept of both of my books, just hilarious circumstances. I'm out and about in Panama. The Panamanian president decides to come to the airport that day wearing a tank right. top with my nipple, wearing a tank top with my nipple hanging out. I met the leader of a foreign nation and talked <laughs> with him for like five minutes while the news cameras were running. And you can clearly see me in my like, Vintage cut-up Alexander McQueen tank top with my teeth hanging out, meeting the president of Panama. So there's just, you know, and now he's, by the way, very scandalous, and they're threatening putting him in jail because of all the corruption. So that's my bestie in Panama. And just, you know, two examples of some of the craziness that aren't in either of my books, but just kind of like the, 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 the funny situations that arise uh, in my life that I've documented. And obviously – more serious ones, like in my second book, I come out about being HIV positive and how that has affected my life. And that's actually my final story in my book is in volume two is positive with a plus sign, all about my journey from learning that I was HIV positive, overcoming the the uh, self-induced depression and anxiety from that and rising above to being probably the healthiest I've ever been in my life now, today. So, I mean, there's... Well, I do want to talk about that because I thought that was a fascinating story. Um, You opened up quite a bit. 
I love the part where you kind of, because you're, you're in where a lot of people have been from, where we're activists in it, our age and your age to my age. We talk about our activism in it, but then when it actually are diagnosed yourself, you're surprised how kind of ignorant you are of everything, right? And, and, exactly. and the learning curve there is to have. Right. I mean, my mom had been a, had raised us, to, to be activists for LGBT causes and, and was very vocal about letting us know everything that was going on during the AIDS crisis. And so I knew, and I was an activist for probably a decade, you know, with, I have positive friends and undetectable friends. And yeah, about six months before PrEP and Travada really went mainstream as an alternative way to kind of block you getting HIV, I contracted it. And I just felt so stupid and down on myself for, God, like months and months. And I finally put myself in therapy and realized that I wasn't broken and that, you know, this too shall pass and I can rise above it. And I used to socially smoke cigarettes when I would drink. You know, I'd go out and to the bars and bum a cigarette from somebody, have a few drags, whatever. And I stopped cold turkey doing that. And made fitness and working out a priority in my life. And so an ironic twist of, and that's the point I make in the story positive is that even the, the most dramatic things that can happen to you can be a silver lining, you know, life, I, life is about rising up, living for love, making lemon drop martinis out of lemons. That's the point of that story. Just because you get a diagnosis doesn't mean it's the end of the world, nor does right. bad news necessarily not eventually potentially translate into something positive and good? So and I think I, there's I, a I lot of good stories that have that too, that have kind of a twist to them where you're, uh, where it starts out as one thing and turns into a positive experience. I think that's what life is all about. It's kind of, you have to ride these journeys and you never know exactly what you're going to get. Out of it. Some are going to be bad, but some of them are going to have some silver linings in them. And I love that. And you learn, you learn from your experiences. Like that's why we make mistakes is, is to learn from them and to grow from them. And without mistakes, we wouldn't know from right and wrong and what, what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. So I've been blessed that I've been dealt, you know, a, a life full of ups and downs, but I've been able to turn most of the downs around into uplifting positive scenarios and situations for myself. And that's what life is about, trying to make the most out of what you've got. Right. And that's one of my favorite mistakes (laughs) is one of my favorite words because there's so many positive quotes on that where it really is a mistake where you, 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 you did something wrong and then you have another chance to make it right. And and I love that. I like that. I don't know that anyone's ever phrased that for me. I like that. Mistake. Take, take two. Exactly. That's exactly I like what that. It is. Take two. We had a mistake the first time. We're going to go to it the second time. But we're I like that a lot. Here. I want to talk about it. You have so many experiences, and it sounds like you have at least one or two more books in you. Uh, what are you working I on right started now? My... Can we maybe expect something else? Well, I have started on, and I would call it three-fourths completed of book number three, and my friends affectionately call it volume three, but I guess, should I reveal the title for you? I don't know. I think I might. I might publicly announce the title. My third book is called Take Your Pants Off, 
and stay a while. That is the third book. I love and it. And I, I love the exclusive. <laughs> Thank you on that. I love the title. Well, and what's, yeah, you get an exclusive, uh, you get an exclusive bit of media information about the third collection in the Dancing in My Underwear series. Take your pants off uh, with, you know, abbreviated as typo, which I think is really cute too. And yeah, nice. it's going to be a continuation. I I never thought it would be a this would be the tertiary installment. I never thought I would write a third one, but I've already realized that there will probably be a fourth in this series. So fantastic. I, yeah, and I mean in the in the meantime, what I do for my day job, I'm one of the main contributing writers for a gay website out of Vancouver called The Homo Culture, and I am also a, a content manager for a gay nightlife app, too. So I'm a busy bitch. <laughs> you are. Goodness That's great. <laughs> wow. wow you know what? You, so you got to awesome. have – there's like a – it's a misquoted line from Absolutely Fabulous, but – Eddie Pie Hands, Eddie Pie Hands, you've got to have your hands in a bunch of pies, I think, to kind of really figure out where your place is. And that's kind of what I'm doing is, you know, keeping checking out different ways to write and different ways to make money writing and while finishing my own project. Amazing. And what else do you have on tap for the summer? What's what's happening with me this summer? Um, I am actually have a crazy, uh, I am flying, I'm here in St. Louis now, I get back on Monday, Friday I fly out to New York City for World Pride, which I'm super stoked about, um, I'm spending World Pride with one of my besties, David, and then David and I fly to Ibiza, and we're spending a few days in Ibiza, Spain, and then I'm going to on to Barcelona because my golden girl, Kylie Minogue, is headlining a festival in Barcelona. And I think that's kind of it. I mean, just I'm buckling down and really attempting to finish my third book by end of summer. And so I can start really working on that. A future uh, project in the works for the fall is getting Dancing in My Underwear, the audio version. Neither of my bo- Both of my books are available. Shameless plug, but both of my books are available on iTunes, all digital platforms, bookstores, whatever, but not yet on Audible. So I'm going to be hitting the studio and going in. I will be self-recording, which will be awesome and very David Sedar. As you should. My own you recording. Should. Yeah, great. So I'm, th- that's kind of what's in the works for me is getting da- my first book on Audible. I have a friend, too, I've been talking to about getting uh, – both books translated into Spanish too. So those are That's my amazing. kind of immediate projects right now. Thank you. Thank you so much for Very having me cool. by on, the, on the show, by the way. I really appreciate being on here. It's been oh, great talking I'm with you. I'm enjoying every second of it, my friend. I can't wait till we get to meet in person on one of my next future trips yeah. here. Um, and uh, you answered my, my final question was when are you going to see Kylie again? Because I know you are a big Kylie fan. Uh-huh. It sounds like it is on tap. You are ready to rock. I mean, she I love it. She has just been like Kylie Minogue just makes me want to dance. Her music is just not not that complicated. It's just good, uplifting pop music that just makes me want to dance. And anytime I'm feeling upset or depressed, I put on Kylie Minogue 
and I just am, am uplifted. It, she's she's saved me thousands of dollars on therapy. <laughs> so I like. I absolutely you know love Kim her. David Smith by chance? No. Kim David Smith, I just interviewed the other day. He came to Columbus to kick off Pride early in the year, and I had him on the show. Earlier in the month, I had him on the show, did a special thing. He actually is a huge Kylie fan and does cabaret acts, and he sings a lot of Kylie songs. And I think he's going to be at World Pride before he takes his Kylie act down to Sydney. If you guys are going to be in town the same time, I'll get you some tickets for him. Cause it's, oh, I think cool. really oh my God, I would love that. Oh, you, you had me at Kylie Minogue. I, I have my dog <laughs> on the floor. I'm like, wait, he does drag impersonations of Kylie? What? I mean, some of those drag queens do Kylie better than Kylie does. I love you, Kylie, but it's seriously. Amazing. He does it in cabaret. He does it in like a tux and tails, and it's, it's pretty amazing, but he sings oh, Kylie that, songs. Oh, my. And it's amazing. Oh, oh, oh excuse me. Oh. Oh, he does it as a boy, but Kylie songs. That's incredible. I misheard or yeah, misunderstood. That's awesome. Oh, my God. I would love that. Fantastic. Right, we'll yes, see. I'm going to see if you guys uh, work together for World Pride, because I know he's doing it down there for Pride, and I will see if that combines. Do me a favor before we sign off awesome. here. Uh, let my listeners know where they can follow you or talk to you on social media. And, and again, uh, give everyone uh, the titles of the books and where they can find them all. Awesome. This is Kellen. You can find my social media. I'm I'm by my first name basis on all social media, and you spell my name very awkwardly, K-O-E-L-E-N. So I'm at K-O-E-L-E-N on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, the work. I, I got in early and secured my name for everything, so I'm on a first name basis with all my social media at, at Kellen, and my books are Dancing in My Underwear. And volume two, volume T-O-O. Well, Kellen, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for Jason Caceres for introducing us. We have to have you back when the third book drops. And keep in touch, my friend. It's been an amazing time talking. Thank you so much. God, I really appreciate being on your show. It's been a joy. I appreciate it so much. And remember to dance in your underwear, too, when you get a moment. There you go. And enjoy your visit back home. And, guys, we're going to play out a little bit of Jay Knight into the sun. Uh, Kellen, stand the line for me. Guys, you're listening to Left okay. of Straight Show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network.
need a 